From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya! Uh, we're on episode 56 tonight and we are talking about the science fiction film The Martian. It came out in 2015. In this episode, we'll reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of narrative and film language, plus we're going to science the shit out of this, Surrey. Uh, that's what... We have the main character say when he gets stuck on Mars. <laughs> just, but it's just, yeah, Mark is usually quite a not so potty mouthed as no, that. That's right, far more refined. But I lo- I love that line of dialogue in this film. Uh, it's directed by the one and only Ridley Scott, massive science fiction filmmaker, and it's written by Drew Goddard. Uh, he has also written quite a bit Buffy, Angel. TV shows is all part of a lot of episodes of those shows. Uh, the World War Z screenplay and also The Cabin in the Woods. Plus, he's got a few other ones about to come out. So, well and truly respected Hollywood screenplay writer. And it is based on a very well-known popular book. From what I gather, I have not read this book by Andy Weir with the same title, The Martian. The Martian. It was a self-published originally and right. got picked up. So there you go, self-publishers unite, it is possible. It is. So turn back now though, if you haven't seen this movie, go and watch it, it's worth it. And then tune back in, because this is your spoiler warning. Warning, warning. So look, I think I already let the cat out of the bag before, or the man stuck on Mars. I think I already sort of said that. Yes. <laughs> uh, basically, it's a pretty simple premise, and that's why this film and story works so well, is that we have an astronaut who becomes stranded on Mars. And when you're stranded on Mars, you basically got nil chance of survival. If you're on your own, it's years back to Earth, or years for help to come get you. It's, it's even worth, worse than the basic castaway scenario. Robinson Crusoe, at least, yeah. was on a hospitable planet yeah. in the tropics where, let's face it, it's not so bad. No, it's not It's not terrible, you know. You know, cast away with Tom Hanks, you know, you're, you're stuck on the island after a plane crash. You get coconuts and crabs, though, I'm expecting. Yeah. Wilson. He has no Wilson in this. He really should have. Um <laughs> Sorry, if that spoils Castaway, there is a character called Wilson. Go check it out. Not science fiction. Um, but yeah, basically, he has to decide whether to survive. You know, is it worth living and surviving and try to plan to get a signal back to Earth to let them know that he is actually alive and all alone? Poor little Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> I'm Matt Damon. <laughs> We so love, We love you, Matt. We do love Matt Damon, but you also love South Park. Uh, what was your number one takeaway from The Martian, sorry? Uh, the Martian paints nerds in a positive light. It nice. does. I know. It's good. That's what I do like. Uh, the portrayal of these rather serious, you know, science and engineer people. Mm, yeah. 
quite, quite good. Uh, no, they weren't all, you know, ridiculous caricatures. Yeah. But they were believable people, I think. That's my takeaway here. I'm just getting a bit sentimental about the thought. And I've got to add a little space brain note onto this because we have talked about this before, Sorry. When you think about it, this film doesn't have the helicopter scene from Predator in it, right? Like, it doesn't have the, hey, I'm the botanist, and hey, I'm the uh, pilot, and hey, I'm the captain, does it? it? It just starts, what I really like about this film, and we'll get into it later with the story structure, but it just kind of starts and ha- starts happening, right? Like, the disaster happens really quickly, they evacuate Mars... Um, and even then, we still don't. We know who the captain is, and, and etc. We know kind of their roles because of decisions that have to be made. But we don't get that scene in the helicopter, which is awesome in Predator. But so many other movies seem to slide off mm. when they do it. Gets a bit cliched. Uh, and this film doesn't have to do it. The other nice thing about this film is it doesn't have the you know the intro, the voiceover written like it doesn't yeah. say in the year twenty five you know twenty thirty five. I think this film was yeah yeah twenty thirty five. The Ares probe missions were first sent up to Mars. But yeah, this is the third one where someone's going to get stuck. <laughs> now join the story. Yeah, like, that's right. I think we can because it, it. I always find it's just a little bit patronising. Mm. When you couldn't have squeezed some of that information into the story itself. Yes. Uh, it's uh, Some films, it sort of suits. It, it's That's the style, almost like a, 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 what are you, a biopic sort of documentary style. Often can get away with that because, well, you, you watch yourself these things and they, they often have that, like a little yeah, yeah. blurb at the start telling you the setup for the documentary. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We... Um... We have a extra personnel in our studio tonight. We do. We've got a third space brain. <laughs> Just uh, Hugo the dog is there and he's making some noises in his sleep. So it's a, it ticks a lot of the space brain's boxes from not just being a good sci-fi, but a great sci-fi, The Martian. Oh, yes. Yeah, so there's science and there's fiction. Tick, what tick. More, what more could you want? <laughs> well, anymore? we don't want any more. Well, tell me, though, is it a hope, a warning, or an experiment? I found it a bit difficult to actually categorize this, but I ended up running with, drum roll, please, experiment. <laughs> I just feel like it's just literally, oh, like it's a what if. It's a, it's a real obvious what if. Like, let's go to Mars and, okay, that in itself could be dangerous. Like, that itself could be very dangerous. Astronauts on Mars, as we know, it's dangerous. But then what if one guy got left behind? Mm. You know, so it's just kind of like a real... To me, what if, like, what happens if you got left an astronaut behind on a planet and, you know, as we said before, it's not a tropical island with bananas and coconuts, it's and as Mars. A, as a writer, you'd be because I'm looking at this from Andy Weir's point of view, yeah. going, okay, premises, you get stuck on Mars, you'd have to now go, okay, well, what beginning conditions would be required for it to be possible to survive? Yeah, to be plausible, so yeah. So that's, that's kind of an interesting thing. Yep. And, for example, one of the main beginning conditions in this one is his potatoes. Yes. It would have been uh, entirely probable that he did not have potatoes because that was a yeah. Thanksgiving dinner. So it was just yeah. coincidental mm. they're going to be there at Thanksgiving yeah. and they hadn't yet eaten the potatoes. But, but sorry, I even feel with... I'm glad you mentioned the potatoes. Yeah, like I agree. They had to have the potatoes. But then also on top of that, like he's a botanist. And, and it's a really nice moment in the film that he says... Like, I can figure this out because I'm a botanist. <laughs> and they sort of emphasize that. But but 
that made it extremely rational that he would be able to, to figure that out, you know, like yeah. make a greenhouse. Like not everyone could do that, you know, and so it gave it a lot of credibility that that is his science. And of course, we all do know that, you know, every astronaut is not just an astronaut that NASA sent into space. They are all very highly specialized in some field of science. And they and all so, do have crossover a little yeah, bit. Like, so yeah. he's a botanist, but yeah, he has an understanding of physics. Yes. And yeah, engineering yeah. and, you know, astron navigation. He would have, yes. you've got to learn some of that. Sure, his speciality is deep in botany. Mm. And he's not going to know as much about, yeah, piloting and the, the required sort of uh, mathematics for that mm. as Martinez. But yep. he would have an idea he's of what's going, yeah, going on there. Yeah, yeah. They and, all, that, and that's the thing. They all have an idea of, um, you know, the generals of science and or more than that, really, like a deep understanding of all sciences, really. Yeah. But then they're special, highly specialized. So but it is a good experiment. I think it's an experiment. What? Yeah, what conditions would you have to start with, and then the problems that you would come up with? How could you like? It's mm. it's almost like a um, a closed room murder, you know, yeah. where you go from here's the corpse, how did they do it? Okay, now I'm going to write it the other direction. Yeah. In this one, he would have gone. Okay, is a, a guy escapes Mars? Yeah. Okay, so that's our spoiler warning. <laughs> he escapes. Okay, so. How did Reverse you get stuck that. there and <laughs> what conditions and what are all the bad things that could happen? Mm. How would you get off Mars? How could a person survive yeah, this? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was, and, and it was really well put together. I highly recommend the book as well. Mm-hmm. The movie is over two hours long. Yeah. But the book is, is a fairly hefty tome and it goes yeah. into a lot more detail about all of the struggles he has. There yeah. are more difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's multiple, you know, near life threatening moments mm. and we, obviously can't stick them in the movie because it would be a six or seven hour movie and mm. well, uh, Netflix Ridley. didn't take this on as a series they took <laughs> it on as you know sorry Ridley Scott took it on as a movie yeah yeah well Ridley Scott's director's cut might be six hours long one day <laughs> could, could be why not hey? but um I was just going to say but um what I was going to say <laughs> for all of the we were talking about there is is a really good example of narrative where as a writer get throwing everything at your character Oh, so yeah, 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 yes, you're right. Like I, I haven't read the book, but as you said, like there's more, even more happens in the book. But even when we just look at the movie, which is what we're focused on tonight, obviously it is a really great example of like, okay, a character stuck on Mars, but not making it easy. Like everything is going to be a struggle. There's not enough food. So therefore, what could you do? Okay, you got to grow food, but then the food's obviously not going to work either the first time or the second time or, or some at some point in time, the food's going to get spoiled or ruined. You know, like, and then you're like, okay, how do you communicate? How how could he possibly communicate back to planet Earth? You know, and, and what know. what I goes like right that. with that, and what goes wrong with that, and then and then okay, just because, and then even with the rescue mission, it's like, oh yeah, they just you know someone comes and saves him, saves the day. NASA sends a rocket. No, 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 the rocket's got to explode. You know, so it's like you've got to continually. It's a, I think this film is a really great narrative structure of like every hurdle that the character has to go over yeah, there's, there's to get to that finish just, line. Just when things are going up, something happens. Something yeah, else so they, goes wrong, yeah. formulated <clears throat> and a, a rescue where they're going to send up the probe mm. and he's chugging along and they, and they work out, you know, he's going to have more food than is required, but it's not a big margin, but they're going, okay, that's, that's not great, but it'll still be fine. 
and then he loses his potatoes. Yeah. Okay, now yeah. we've got to get it even faster there, and that, of course, causes, you know, they should take shortcuts. Yep. The rocket explodes. Yeah. Uh, and, and for a reason, the explanation as to why it exploded, like the liquefaction of the protein blocks under acceleration was not accounted for, and mm. so that slopped the, the, the stuff around. And it, that possibly could have been picked up during their testing, their 13 days of testing that they had to cut out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was a plausible thing. It wasn't just like a random, oh, a piece of insulation, like which is what unfortunately happened to one of our space shuttles. Yeah, yeah. You know, a piece of insulation broke off. Yeah, no, no, there's actually like this kind of build up of why it happened. Yes, yeah. And so now you've got that, he's in the poo again, isn't he? Yeah. He's got no food <laughs> and their rescue plan, which seemed to be the only thing they could do, yep. has failed. Yep. And and then they, you know, he, he comes up with a new thing. He starts going, you go, oh, that's okay then. Yeah, and yeah. then suddenly the next thing happens. And yes. You go, oh, yeah. no, this is terrible. And, and the whole time the primal side of it is, of course, well, any sort of major disaster could just be pretty quickly instant death for him. You know, oh, like if, this, if his spacesuit, which happens a couple of times, gets ripped and things like this, well, then oxygen, you know, like oxygen is always an important thing, isn't it, when we're in space? So it's like important on planet Earth too. But it, it is an extremely easy way to kind of go, well, we're running out of oxygen or your suit gets ripped. Oh, you know, you've got to get, you got to fix things really rapidly, don't you, you know? Uh, especially being on your on your own. Did you have a favourite scene? Uh, I love the. Um, I loved a number of scenes here. I liked towards the end where he is in the convertible space capsule, which mm. is which is quite nice. And that whole rescue scene at the very end as the finisher, mm, yeah. where um, it's just so. It's exciting. It's yep. thrilling. You you kind of know he's going to survive. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you're not. You don't know what terrible things going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and it it's this wonderful story moment where how can you raise the stakes? Yeah, yeah. So you've got this one guy on Mars. We already know he's going to die. Mm, yep. And then you've got some people on Earth here who will probably lose their jobs. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 not much. It's enough to get you through most of the film, but then we get the end there where there's still one guy going to die, but suddenly there's a whole space crew mm. who will, first of all, lose their good friend that they thought they've been traveling a year in space to try and save. Yeah, yeah. But then the plan they have to come up with to slow down, like set off a bomb in their ship. Yeah, yeah. Could lose everyone. You know, like yeah, like it just, it just builds so, so poetically to a point there that... You're no longer just concerned about the one guy. There's like there's now six mm. people in peril. Yep. And Sean Bean's going to lose his job. <laughs> like, this is. Dangerous. I think you start forgetting about that, really, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> well, look, that's what I mean. It sort of eclipses that. You know, you've. Yeah. Um, we've got a bit of an insight. These guys have all got families, and yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, so that's that's sort of it's a great scene. It was very it exciting. Yeah. There's a lot of action. There's still a bit of humour in there, which is nice. Uh, in yep. the book. Like the book, the the movie took it all from the book. The, yeah, the yeah. book is that character. And I think again, it was one of those things. Well, how do you keep a person like? How's a person stay sane? Mm. So, what sort of person or personality is required? Yeah, turns out someone who's who can be funny, see the funny side in things. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Is that and so the character Mark Watney has a bit of a sense of humor, and the whole mm. time he's kind of coming up with these funny ways of looking at the world. Like yeah, that he is. The first colonist of Mars. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he wants to fly like an Iron Man. Yeah. He's a space pirate. You know. Yeah, yeah. 
that's that's um yeah it's it's great that 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 comedy the action the thrills and and the stakes all come to that end point in yeah. this exciting scene which ends in like a, a cuddle yeah it does like, doesn't it an embrace yeah you know, the hug yeah. You know, oh we've got you, you know? i wrote it down as an embrace it's not an embrace like a romantic one but it is an embrace isn't it's, it yeah well, it's, it's old friends who haven't seen each other for years and, and didn't think they were ever going to mm. see each other again and yeah that's good i've got to say like when i first saw it um which i'd not this time i'd seen it once before uh, that final ending it, it is a real because you you just kind of know in in space and then in the movie set it up with all the science but it's like you know they keep talking about well we're coming in at this fast and you know 42 kilometers an hour and and then he's you know if we hit him at that you're like geez yeah you'd like spin him off somewhere else you're not going to catch someone at that fast no. you know it's like driving down the road i mean you know 40 is 40 k is not that fast but if you're trying to like catch a person you know and then and then so they you know they keep to, the rider has kept turning that screwdriver, hasn't he? Mm. Because it's kind of like, oh, we've made it here to Mars, but then we're actually like 300 kilometers apart. And you're like, oh, you're so close. And then it's like, and then he's, they, they get his rocket off Mars and then it's not, it doesn't get as high as they projected. And so then they're like, oh, now he's 400 meters away. And then, you know, the captain's going, well, I'm going out there. You know, you know, she, she goes, I'll, I'll go out and get him. And of course that, that classic, you know, rope is going to run out. And it's like, you know, and they say that. They go, oh, now he's like 400 metres. And you go, oh, it could be so close. But when you're talking about out in space where they can't manoeuvre a spaceship like just on a dime, you know, yeah. it's like it's like four, she's going to get to him and he's going to get he's going to be like just just there, isn't he? He's going to oh, be like 20 metres away. Can you imagine the heartbreak? Like, of, yeah, that's right. So that he's, he's, he was, I think it got down to the point where they had 214 metres of rope yeah. to go out on. But he was 260, so he was about 40 meters away at yeah, the closest point. That's right. That's close enough to see a person quite clearly. Yeah, yeah. And you'd just be seeing them, and they just and then they just again slowly and float. Like, well, like, and we have, and we don't have, you know, they've, they've said they've had good old raising the stakes, turning the screwdriver. They've used up 80 percent of the fuel, so they only got the 20 percent to get back to Earth. So if mm-hmm. they use any more, then they're just stuck. And so, but is he just going to then drift off and then be stuck? Rotating around Mars, just be a new orbiting, <laughs> yeah. and then die. You know, run out of oxygen or whatever. So it's you, it's one of those thriller kind of endings. Even though it's a very science fiction film, isn't it? It's a very thriller nail biting finish because yeah. you're like he's so close to the finish line of getting there, but then and, and this is you know like are I, they going to do it? Because you see other movies sometimes and they just you know they deliberately. Don't do it, don't they? You know, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't want to talk about another film, but like it's there is a couple other films where, especially in space, where there's close, but then and then they just don't, they don't make it. You know, the person doesn't make it. Well, um, uh, Interstellar was one we did earlier yeah. where there's there's at least one situation where yeah, that yeah, happens yeah. where they're, yeah. they're so close to being rescued or saved yeah. or whatever, and they, just, nah, they, they don't, don't quite make yeah, it. Yeah, and because that time lag is going, yeah, go back to Interstellar and and do that. Mark Wahlberg and Ridley Wahlberg? Scott, not Wahlberg. <laughs> uh, he would have made another interesting um, Mark. There's just so many Marks this week. I'm really stuck on it. Um, he, Matt Damon um, and Ridley Scott did talk about the film called Touching the Void, and that's a documentary. Um, and it's about the two Mount Everest climbers. They mm. climb up. One has to cut the rope, and, and he, it's a great documentary. Um, but they actually talked about this film, The Martian, they wanted to capture a little bit of that 
that idea of like someone being really stuck, isolated, and then other people knowing that they're sort of stuck and isolated but can't get to them. Yeah. And what that experience is also a bit like, you know, and because Touching the Void does that. And um, yeah, I, I feel like that climax of the film did get to that point, you know, and it's a really good doco, that one, actually, if you want to get a lot of it is reenactment and then the the um a couple of interviews so it's kind of one of those it's almost like a film really you know the way they've done it so what about something recent science fiction creative what you been up to uh so with i'm doing pre-production for a film called harold the plumber harold the plumber not science fiction kind (laughs) of No, it's not. Well, yeah, it has a bit of magic in it, I suppose. There's magic toilet water. So, But it is going to be a bit comedy drama, is the genre, um, that it's in there. I mean, there is, yeah, magic toilet water. Uh, so, yeah, we're in full steam pre-production with a June production date. It's all sort of getting locked in. Uh, I've got my Harold. He's actually an old actor friend of mine because Harold is someone in their 60s. And uh, so he's he's locked in. I was... Really keen if he, he would come out of retirement. He's a retired actor. So uh, I, I kind of rang him up and was like, I've got this script, send it to him. You, would you, you know, are you willing to come out of retirement? I don't know what the deal is with you at the moment in terms of, are you just done? <laughs> don't want to act in anything. And he is. So he's coming out of retirement and um, getting on that train down to Mandra to, to shoot this. But yeah, it's super exciting. Got a great AD who's come on board and just, like straight away she's just we're clicking and she's like she's just amazing me in terms of a couple of the roles I've chucked at her thinking oh this is going to take you like a few days to organize and she's messaging me an hour later going yeah it's done what's next (laughs) so yeah and uh so so I'm super excited about that and I did an actor call out lots of interest um it is a Sort of a very different film to my last one in that there is kind of about eight really minor roles. So I sort of do need a plethora of actors, which is quite different. Uh, but yeah, things are things are ticking over, but nothing uh, in that realm. It's not a science fiction film. But oh, yeah, they're very close. That's pretty close, isn't it? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, if we bring across our Space Brains audience that will get to see Harold one day. Has a. <laughs> How about yourself? Um, science fiction related uh, I've been working on some technology related stuff of course mm-hmm. there's, a, there's, a, there's a new website I have to work on for a little bit yeah spacebrains.com.au looks fabulous go check it out let us know I've still got a couple little tweaks I want to make on it on some of the pages but otherwise uh, it's getting along there now, my wife was super impressed with it she, she loved it she lo- also loves what you've done with her beautiful photos and oh, uh, tweaked awesome them and, and made them a little bit better in the terms of adding those backdrops and stuff. So go check it out. You get to see us with big alien brains. So go go hit it up. Copy and paste those photos. Share them around. Share them around. Send them to Hollywood and maybe we'll get... Matt role. Damon on the show. Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt, Mark Wahlberg. You know, all Look, of them. All the guys from The Martian. Hey, why? Yeah, Mark Wahlberg. Why not get him on? He was in Planet of the Apes, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah so, so we'll, we'll do that. He's a science oh, yeah. and action Yeah, hero. definitely. Not a problem. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the writing group um, mm. rocking along. That sort of still, they're sort of plodding along, doing that um, screenplay on that. Yes. So had good discussion at that writing group about you did. that. Yeah. Um, which uh, which was constructive. Uh, yeah. So that's quite good, but um, we do have 
we can finally give a bit of music. <laughs> we can. And, and if you follow our, if you've been following our socials, socials you would have come across it already. <laughs> yeah. But for those of you who are just who, into the podcast, just a podcast <laughs> listener, because let's face it, there's got to be um, a fair few of you. Yes. Based on the number of people following our Facebook <laughs> compared to the listeners. But anyway, uh, the inaugural Space Brains Sci-Fi Film Festival, which is an international science fiction film festival. It's taking place Saturday, 21st of March, 2022. That's next year. That's, that's <laughs> next year. But if you listen to this episode in the future, it could be in the past. Yeah, I mean, eventually. <laughs> but, it, but anyway, this not to get this, this, this film festival will be occurring in around the third week of May for years to come. Yet. Yeah, it's going so, to be one of those so huge you, ones like Sundance. If you miss the 2022 one, Cannes. come on the 2023 one. <laughs> it, will, it will just always be happening. It'll, it'll be worth it'll be a staple. Mandra for it. It's, yeah. Mandra's a beautiful place. If, it is. If you don't know Australia, because I know we've got actually quite a few listeners in the UK, Canada, and the United States. Yep. Yeah, if, when you get a chance to travel internationally again without uh, Masks. problems. Um <laughs> Quarantine. You should come through to Mandra. It's, you should. It's a beautiful seaside town. Yeah. Sunny Mediterranean climate. Yeah, yeah. Sunny people. Let us know. We'll, we'll give you a tour. We'll give you a Space Brains tour. Yeah, we'll show you all the science fiction <laughs> films. that Actually, now that other world was filmed by Ben C. Lucas. It was. It was filmed uh, 30 kilometers to the north of us here, just yeah. near Rockingham. Well, it's on the train line. It's on the train it's line that we have. Line. We can show you. We can just all get on that train. You'll love it. Yeah, it's fantastic. So come to Mandra for the Science Fiction Film Festival. And we have some categories. What, what are the categories, Mark? We have a feature film category. We have uh, then a short film category, which is... Uh, we have a international category. We have an Australian category. And what I'm especially proud of and super excited of is a Mandra and regional Western Australia category. So we really want to put a bit of a spotlight on some local science fiction writers, filmmakers, talent, and hopefully promote that. And then, of course, for anyone that considers themselves a student, <laughs> whether it's at university or high school or primary school, and wants to make a science fiction film and submit that, we are super happy to yeah, accept that and, and check it out. It's part of our vision to be able to inspire people to mm. entertain us. We're basically just looking for what we consider to be science fiction, so a film that does have some sort of speculative science involved in it. And look, to us, that can be anything like if you go back, look at all the films we've looked at, uh, it could have time travel. It could have like a psychology experiment um, like The Discovery or time travel like Back to the Future. What else could it be, sorry? It could also be time travel like... No, I won't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be some sort of weird warping like the beyond, you know, be a, a like an alien thing. Like Total Recall. Total Recall. Where, is it real or is it not? Is it all just in what the brain? Like Darkest Dawn. Yeah, the Darkest Dawn, like an invasion. I mean, yeah. Darkest Dawn was, came off the back of a self-funded mm -hmm. indie little film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Out of the UK. Called, called, oh, I can't remember what it's called now. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> check it out. It's Drew called, Carson. Or Casson, Casson, Drew Casson. Yeah, yes. that's it. So yeah, that, I mean, so yeah. Any anyone that uh, wants to get involved, you got twelve, basically twelve months from this episode tonight. Uh, you'll have exactly twelve months to really, you know, put your thinking and creative 
space brain hat on and come up with a science fiction film, get out there, shoot it, submit it. We've already started receiving submissions. We have. We've already received okay. some, which is fantastic. Which is Super lucky excited. We do have uh, an early bird deadline. We do. Check out filmfreeway.com. Yeah. Yeah. Check out spacebrains.com.au and that'll also lead you through. Yeah. Well, that give you a bit more information about all of this. Yes, okay, well, let's Let's get on to this film then. Yeah. So, look, um, we've already mentioned a couple of things. Uh, the film is based on a book of the same title. Uh, and it is also directed by Ridley Scott. What other film did Ridley Scott do in science fiction? Gladiator, no, Alien. <laughs> of course, Alien, which we've already done on Space Brains. That was is, number five. Is he the first director that we've done two films on? I think he is. I, 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 I feel think, like he is. I, I feel so. like he we've, is. We've, we've done couple, actors a couple, couple of times. Of actors and we, we've yeah. done writers. Mm. So John Sales, think, for example. Yeah, John Sales is up there because he didn't direct both Alligator and Brother. He wrote both. He wrote so both he's the writer of two films, yeah. I think Ridley Scott is coming up on his second one here. So uh, recently I actually also looked at Raised by Wolves and I know um, he uh, directed an episode of that, um, which is a, it's a TV show mm. um, uh, set in the future of the robots and all that sort of stuff. So quite an interesting idea. Um, but yeah, Ridley Scott, a lot of us should recognise him if you don't. Definitely go and check him out. We've mentioned Matt Damon. He plays the lead call of character called Mark Watney. Um, we have other actors. We have Jessica Chastain, Christi, Christian Wig, which is a very different role for her. She's normally in comedies. And so is Jeff Daniels, the guy yeah, that's Jeff head Daniels. of NASA. Yeah. He suddenly, but they play a good role. Michael Penner has been in quite a few other sci-fiction. Sean Bean. Now, every time I see him... Sean Bourne or Sean Bean? <laughs> Uh, you got to choose, man. you got to choose. Same hey, thing, Sean Bourne. I don't want to ruin Game. I don't want to ruin. Am I going to ruin Game of Thrones? But every time, you know, come on, Ned Stark. I mean, he, he, is he, is he coming back? Sorry. He famously dies in most of the things in. He does, doesn't he? Watch, he? Uh, yeah. Ronan, he plays it, that same character. Mm. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Yes. He plays that, that same sort of character. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he, he dies. He's such a good actor, but anyway, he always dies. He does in the, the voices. Uh, he has a narration great in voice. Civilization Six computer game. <laughs> because he's got a great voice. I can't even do it. He does. Uh, look, had this film, The Martian was filmed a little bit in the UK, USA, but I think that was pretty residual. Um, Hungary, huge soundstage. They say it's one of the biggest in the world, and that's where primarily most of this film was shot, as you can imagine. We're not. Ridley doesn't quite have the budget to ship Matt Damon off to Mars, I don't think. Maybe in the future. Um, they will send he, actors there. If Elon gets his way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and also Jordan, which I found this interesting. I was just sort of looking online. They, they, that's sort of some wide shots where it looks very much like Mars. And it's actually the, they shot in the same desert in Jordan where other films about Mars have been shot. So that's obviously the Mars location. So I don't know exactly where it is. It's, it's funny because there's that place in Chile which is very similar to Mars. Like it's the, the, the driest desert in the world. It just yeah. doesn't rain there. Mm. And they use that for experiments to see how life might be like yeah. on Mars. Yep. Because it's, it's totally dry. It's got no life. Mm. It's... Horrendous. Yeah, and I know I read a couple of years ago that they did an experiment on one of the volcanoes in Hawaii where they made um, five astronauts live in a hut. Yeah. And it was for 12 months. And and it was like, you're going to live in there 
there's no life outside and that was kind of replicating what it might be like for them to go to somewhere like Mars. Yeah. yeah they've, so they've, they've, just torture. They've done a, a couple of, yeah, the only communications are by delayed yeah, messaging. Yeah, same kind same of sort of me- Oh, jeez. Now, also the other thing is, which I found interesting uh, sort of looking into this, this film, they didn't predict, they, they, were, they didn't think it was going to be much of a film. Even though they gave it a very healthy box, uh, sorry, budget, and it had about 108 million US, um, the predictions was this wasn't going to be a blockbuster. Uh, Ridley Scott had come off um, a film that had really choked, uh, so he wasn't in the best books, and they felt uh, the the novel, even though it was a well-known novel, um, they didn't feel it had the same reach as maybe like other films. So they, they didn't predict this. Fox was not pre- predicting that this would be a massive film for them. Um, however, it just t- tore the box office apart. Um, and I was going to say also Matt Damon is an actor that some of his films have been very successful and some have not as well. So they sort of had this weird mix of is this film going to be successful? It ended up in 2015 being Fox's biggest success. So it was their biggest film, biggest blockbuster, um, and it grossed worldwide about 630 million US. So that's some good good dollars. It's probably yeah, not a bad return, I don't think. I wouldn't mind a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, so uh, interesting why they, they thought it wasn't going to be the biggest, but yeah, anyway, it, it did. So let's get stuck into the plot, sorry. How does this film begin? Uh, it's- Do we get a voiceover? No, we know voiceover. We we come in onto the we we come in, and it's, it's, it's a it's, nice big wide it's shot. Ridley of Scott Earth. here, of course. Yeah, so the start is not dissimilar to Alien. It Alien. is. It's very similar. And we get the the planet with a sun coming around, which is mm. it's a very popular way of opening science fiction films. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of there's only a couple of ways of opening science fiction films, and it's like you know your vampire films. You got to come in on a castle with a lightning bolt mm. crash behind. Yeah, it. yeah. This one, it's a planet, dawn. We're coming into Mars. It's also silent. That seems to be his style. So yes. it's kind of a bit eerie. You know what I mean? Like there's an eerie factor to it. Yeah, that's silent. Yeah. Silence. But then we rapidly coming down to a, a team of besuited astronauts <laughs> upon this planet doing their work. Mm. Um, there's a bit of, you know, play. Uh, what, what do you call Banter between Banter, yeah. Martinez and uh, Watney. Yep. Watney's you know, collecting dirt samples and Martinez making a joke about the fact, you know, did you find any soil there? Did you find any dirt <laughs> there? You know, and of course, uh, the response back is, uh, well, well, at least I'm doing something useful. What are you doing? Like, you're checking to make sure that the Mav is still there? Is, it, yeah. <laughs> is the door closed? Yeah, yeah. And he says, check. The door is closed. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's a bit of a... You can see they're all sort of friends. and Yeah. Then there's there's other people commenting and saying, can we turn this this channel off? Because like, yeah. clearly Mark and Martinez... Are constantly you know, doing that. Just keep, Those annoying co-workers, you know, that yeah, keep talking. Keep going on at each other <laughs> in this kind of humor, humorful, you know, friendly way. But mm. it probably must get grating after the, you know, 15th solid hour of it or something. Yeah. And sure enough, then the captain, you know, with a bit of a grin, she switches off the channel uh, and makes everyone get down to work. Yep. Go for it. But very rapidly, uh, a severe dust storm picks up. Uh, they get kind of some information about that, I, th- I think, from NASA or yeah, something, NASA don't they? They, they get some they go, data. Yes, yes, we're aware yeah, of the yeah. dust storm. They're like, yeah. no, nah, it's going to be pretty bad. Yep. And um, they sort of, I think they get predictions. There's some number like six, 6,500 
wind speeds or something. And yeah, I can't remember that. Some, something like that, you know. And then uh, Newtons, I said the number of Newtons or something. Yeah, like and then they're like the hab. The hab can only handle five thousand. So, so like yeah, the indication but... is, oh, they, you know, that they're not going to survive the storm. Yeah, their escape vehicle might tip over in the storm. Yeah, and Mark is keen to stay. Yeah, he says, "Let's stay." Yeah, let's. We we can do it because it's it's a little bit over there. You know, they've got a yeah, but they've got a we've come a, this far. They've got a scrub value. Like there's, yeah, there's yeah. this number that if it goes over that, they just leave. Yeah, because you know you're on danger. Mars. Yeah, Dude, yeah, you can't danger. Will Robinson, you're not just on a pla- on a, a an island where you're the storm. Oh, it broke our ship. Well, you know, even in Antarctica, if you lost your ship, you only have to wait like six months mm. and. No, you know, you're not disappeared off the face of the earth, but these yeah. people will disappear. Yes. They're not on the face of the earth. So, yeah, so the uh, Captain Johansson, she says, let's get this show on the road. We're all leaving. And they do. They, they, they dutifully trudge off, and then we have this storm. It's really rough. Uh, it reminded me a bit of Alien. Um, yeah. Outside, yeah. the outside conditions of Alien were like It was, isn't well. it? Yeah. Uh, and there's 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 grit and, and I love the grit, the, yeah. Clanging and banging off their face helmets, and they can't see much. There's a real sort of uh, grainy grit. He does it a few times throughout the film, but in that opening sequence, like it's it's real relentless, isn't it? Yeah, you it's, know? it's very it's chunky. It's very grit chunky stuff. Yeah, grit not, stuff, you know. Yeah, it's not what you want to have banging into. And, and you are right; it's quite similar to Alien in that sort of, you know, we are in this alien world, and it's really hitting us hard, you know. Yeah, yeah so. But they, they all head off towards the, the MAV and it, Martinez is in there. He goes, oh, it's tipping over. Yeah. We're, we're almost at the 12% yeah. mark or 12-degree <laughs> mark. Or, you know, some, yeah, it's a MacGuffin number. It, yes, it it's is. It's not terribly important what that number really is. No. It's all just about, oh, if we hit that number, then we tip over. So we've got to get on board quickly. Yeah, so there's, like, a, there's, there's a time, t- there's a time limit, here. limit here. And then he uses his maneuvering thrusters to give them a bit more time mm. because Mark Watney gets, yeah, there's a big gust comes through and... Uh, a aerial or an antenna off the base gets pulled clear off and knocks Mark Watney mm. off away from everyone. Yep. And it's immediately like their little beepers go beeping and they yeah. get like a, you know, they get a zero hard life reading left. There's a depressurization yeah. event and they go, oh, well, he's dead. Yeah, he's dead. But Johansson, of course, being the captain, says, okay, all you guys go on. And I'll find and I'll, him. I'll search for him to the last minute. Yep. And that's what she does. Yep. To, to the very last moment where she's now in danger of endangering everyone else yep she climbs back on board and they fly away and they're all very sad because Mark Watney's dead yep we Watney awakens after the storm he's kind of covered in sand he's injured um, he's got a low oxygen warning on his suit. Uh, he sort of starts stumbling, kind of collects himself. He's plugged in from this aerial. Yeah, I, l- I love that he's, he goes stagger, stagger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's still connected. <laughs> he's on still the connected, so he unplugs that, but he's got this sharp thing you can see sticking out. Uh, low oxygen is warned, you know, he's getting warned of low oxygen, kind of takes in his surroundings. You can see that the hab is okay, but there is stuff sort of scattered all over the place. Um, and he makes it back to the hab. And there's a really, I reckon, awesome scene of him treating that wound. It's mm. really pretty cool how it's been shot, shot through a mirror, um, which is practical because, of course, he's looking at the mirror to pull out this thing. It's also very science sciencey because he kind of has to rip all his costume off, cut medically cut off his um, shirt. He's a little um, jabber for... Yeah, he's got James. And- yeah, and then, and then like how he like kind of 
uh, digs in there with the clamps and then pulls it out. Uh, and again, I think, you know, what we said earlier, this is starting to show you that he is quite skillful. You know, again, some of the things he's going to do are not the kind of thing a normal, like probably I couldn't do. <laughs> but it's like, you know, so he, you get an impression pretty quickly of like he is a pretty skilled mm. person. You know, like, um, again, you know, like this is what I mean, like the plausibility of him surviving starts going up because it is such an extreme environment, but he is someone that's intelligent and, and, and he's capable of doing some of these things. The other thing I really liked about this scene is it's immediately shows that his concerns are not the same as castaways. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, medical conditions, not really a problem. He's got, you know, painkillers. Yep. He's got surgical kit. He's got, you know, antiseptics. He's got all this sort of medical, yeah. modern stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's, he's got lights. He's got a nice chair to sit he's in. He's got protection so, in general, yeah. So, yeah, we're mainly sort of, it's a way of introducing, you know, okay, here's how come he's been stranded. Yeah. But it also immediately starts painting the scene or the scenario mm. and is he's not in danger of, you know, infection, mm, which is yeah. often a problem that you get in yeah, like yeah. castaway movies. You know, they cut themselves on a bit of sharp coral, coral yeah. and they immediately, you know, have <laughs> yeah, like yeah. a big swollen leg and they can't move properly. Yep. That's not a problem. He's mm-hmm. he's not worried about that. He can pull a bit out, so you know, staple himself back together again. Yeah. He's got painkillers and and so on. Enough surgical and, and medical equipment to look after six people for 30 or 60 days or whatever it was. 60 and souls they sent up worth of stuff. He he starts his video diary um, and it's a, it's a nice moment because, again, this film is very save the cat structure uh, in the film. Yes. Like you're when I just want to touch on that actually for a minute there that he's basically stuck on Mars after that like like when the storm happens stuck and then he wakes up that's exactly about twelve minutes mm. which is like perfect on the beat once he reca- once he gets the metal out of his stomach and he does that and he takes a breath and he he starts his video diary the video diary he explains his stakes. <laughs> Yes. Like, you know, the stakes of the story. He's like, ah, oh, if I stay on this planet, which now I'm stuck here, um, by the time people get back, I will uh, most likely run out of food. Yes. So I'm going to die. I'm going to starve to death. So he's just telling us, the audience, exactly what the stakes are. Um, and, he, and he lists off other things like this hab probably won't, it was not, was built to last for 30 days. I'm going to be here for four years. The the next mission is four years away that they'll get here. I only have enough food for, you know, a year, uh, and they keep talking in souls, don't they? A day souls, on yes. on twenty four point five yeah. hours long or something. Yeah. So, but I liked that because he starts his video diary and he's not super depressed about it. But it's like literally, here's the stakes of the film. Then we have a couple of scenes following that where he's contemplating, and that's that good old fashioned debate. Yeah, he's, so he's just like he's, he's sitting there, his food. he's eating his food, he's 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 looking out the window, somber. You can see he's thinking through his options, you know, um, and he counts up exactly how much food he has. Uh, and, but he makes, it, and it's exactly what I mean is like moving from then that, like being a, for a character debate, he then makes the decision that, no, I can do this. Like there's ways around this. Start solving the problems. Yeah. I've got to, like, let's start solving what problems I've got here. And that's where the video diary kicks off. And it's quite good because it's, it's like, again, moving us into, heading towards a second act, like, can he actually, can he survive? How is he going to survive? Yeah, what, so, what, are the, what are the feats he has to achieve yeah. in order to get to that fun and games time? Yes. Where he's, 
uh, I wouldn't say enjoying, but he's doing the most. He's making the most of his Mars um, efforts. Yeah. So, so his immediate concern is that amount of food. So after he's counted up, I, I can't exactly remember the amount of souls he's got. Is it three hundred or something? There was something and like there was supposed to be there thirty-one souls, but there was there's but six they of sent them. Sixty days, sixty-four souls worth. Yeah. Just to be sure. Yeah. And so and there's, there's six, of them. six of them. So there's like about three hundred and sixty odd. Yeah. Souls worth of food yeah. just there, and he says, yeah. you know, if I ration it, it's like four hundred or so. Yeah. But um, it's still not going to make it. He says, yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, that's not. But then he has this brainwave of the potatoes, so yeah. he like runs over and there's this special meal box which is Thanksgiving labeled Thanksgiving, and he's got a stack of potatoes, dry sealed. <laughs> Something like that. What do you call it? Yeah. Vacuum packed. Was well, he in the book? It explains that because it's NASA and they're American, they have a Thanksgiving dinner yeah. sent to them, yeah. and they wanted to have the for the crew's mental health and well-being. They wanted them to experience the process of cooking the meal together because yeah. all their other meals are all you know instant, ready to eat yep. stuff. And so this one here, they had potatoes that needed to be roasted, and yep. there were there, there were a couple of things like some gravy that had to yeah. be made and and stuff. It was supposed to be a a play activity basically yeah. for them. Yep. And for which he's grateful because he has real live potatoes. Yes. And he then very quickly kind of has the brainwave of human waste. Yes. So let's... As we know or don't know, Martian soil is devoid of bacteria. And Mm. what we have come to learn, and and we didn't really know this directly for quite a long time, just intuitively, is that plants grow in symbiosis with a microcosm of fungi and bacteria and molds. Much like our guts, we can only digest food in part thanks to um, you know lots of microbes and stuff mm. chewing on the elements, the raw elements we eat and releasing the vitamins and minerals that we use. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so he, he then devises, and as what I said before, like there's a great moment where he goes, well, like, you know, the, you can, I can replant my potatoes, I can use the human waste, and you see him setting up this hab very differently. He puts plastic up, um, and it's like, oh, because I'm a botanist, and I, I really liked that because it really sort of just set, again, that tone that, yeah, this is not going to be easy, but this is a botanist. So mm-hmm. if anyone could do it, it would be he, him. He does know the nutritional requirements yeah. and of plants. Yes, so he starts doing it. He sets up the hab, as I mentioned, Um there's a nice moment where he's talking about to create the kind of atmosphere inside it and he he gets the fuel off the rocket, um, sets up sets it up with a flame and he's like, oh, this is going to totally work, lights it and it just blows him well, he, backwards. Well, he does foreshadow it because he says, <laughs> of course, one of the problems with hydrogen is it's very yeah, explosive. explosive yeah. I think he is a bit sarcastic. He says, nothing ever in the history of humanity <laughs> has exploded from hydrogen. No. No. Uh, obviously, make reference to uh, yeah, know, certain what's about answers. to happen. Yeah, and then of course, yeah, he goes plump plump, and he's about to celebrate, and it goes kapoop. yeah, it's a great moment, I thought. And he gets thrown backwards, and yeah, again in the book, there's sort of additional complications from that, but yeah, but in this, yeah, he, it was pretty simple. He, was he just, redoes he, it, sets yeah. a slightly smaller amount. And <laughs> sure enough, we get this: the fuel drips down onto his. Catalyst, which breaks off the hydrogen, yeah. which flows up, and then he has this flame. And he, ha- if he sets the hydrogen, the drip rate, and the flame size just right, mm. hydrogen burns to form water. Yeah, and so because he's put all that plastic around his his Dexter kill room, his <laughs> potato farm, it just becomes a big humid 
uh, hothouse. Yeah. And it, like greenhouse. Uh, in, so in the book, he produces enough water that he can have a, a warm bath. Right. Which is, no, which he quite likes. <laughs> um, but again, like you said, mentioner, there's that sort of beginning of joking, isn't there, in these serious moments that he, he can have a joke in them. So, yeah, it's quite good. Uh, he also starts beginning to modify the rover. Um, and I, I do say in all this, like even when he sets up that green room, um, he's digging the earth, digging the earth. Like there's a moment he sort of says, oh, fuck off Mars. Like, because it's hard work. No, it's like it's really incredible because yeah. it's, you know, it's not dirt like on earth. It's solid rock um, or, you know, little bits of rock and stuff. So oh, and I, he's got to mix all the poo back. Yeah, yeah. Reconstitute it with the water. Yeah. And he's, just, yeah, he's got yeah, plugs up his nose. He's... <laughs> He's so even it. though he's achieving it, there's never any, nothing's done easily, and no. that, that's a good thing. Uh, on Earth, we kind of then cut. Um, they've had a funeral for him. Um, they're they're talking about bringing home the crew. Um, there's been a couple of those kind of news moments, uh, and we have this satellite planner Mindy Park. Uh, kind of, you know, quite often in these films, they have these moments. Don't they? this random tech suddenly discovers something on the computer. And images. that's basically what happens here, that she's reviewing the satellite images with her coffee and she just notices that well, the rover... Because they want to send up uh, Ares 4 mm. and they want to see if they can make use of any of the existing stuff that was there. Yeah. So they're doing a... Uh, and they also want to know how badly damaged is this place? Yeah. You know, like this storm, did they have to evacuate? Could we do something better for number four? Yeah. And that's when, yeah, she's looking at the two different images and notices mm. that... The rover has moved and the solar panels have been cleaned off. Yeah. Because uh, Mark Watney is at this point uh, preparing. He's, he's, he's trying to figure out how he's going to get the 3,200 kilometers or whatever it is to the Schiappa Rally crater from the Acidilia Planitia or whatever it is. <laughs> but the funny thing is when I was reading the book, I had never heard either of these terms said out loud before. Mm. So, you know, it was hard. It's one of those ones where you... Try and say it out loud to someone. You go, I actually don't know how that's said. No. But hearing it is very helpful. It is. And Mindy presents this to, what's his name? Kapoor? Uh, Teddy Sanders? Te- uh, well, the boss? Or? Well, he presents it to the, um, yeah, ca- um, her immediate boss, the, the guy who's trying to plan for Aries 4. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's his first name? Some or other Kapoor, I'm sure of it. Yeah, but. yeah. Oh, I can't believe we don't have that note here. We've no, I didn't else, get but, that note. Yeah, well, he, he mustn't have been as well paid. Because <laughs> so, we don't have Mindy Park's actor down here either. But no, anyway, no. Um, yeah, and she gets presented to Teddy Sanders. The um, What an American name Teddy Sanders, Teddy Sanders is. Like, yeah, it's like uh, presented there Theodore. and mentions and they're sort of going, is that true? Is it not? You know, I don't want a body of an astronaut up there. Uh, being shown and so on. Yeah, definitely. Um, so they, yeah, but the, the so then they're, they're debating that, don't they? That um, he's still alive. And then Sanders, Sean Bean, is saying that he wants to tell the crew. That's Mitch Anderson. Yeah. Sean Bean. Is it? Yes. Mitch San- Anderson. Sanders is the uh, head of NASA. Oh, Teddy Sanders. Yeah, sorry. So, Sa- so Sanders... Doesn't want to tell the crew, and but Mitch does. Yeah, and I, I find this, this, uh, I, I maybe this is revealing some strange 
peculiarity to me, but I thought that this was such a non-event. Yeah. Like, well, wait till we get home and tell them. Like, yeah, telling yeah. them in flight, how does that help anyone? Yeah. That doesn't achieve anything. Well, it, just, it does mean, like, if they're stuck in a... Like, Sanders says, no, we want them to focus on their mission, like, to come home. And it's like, yeah, because if you do tell them and then they're the whole time they're, like, guilt well, thinking see, about Sanders it. Sanders makes the point. He says... Yeah, I, I want them to think about the mission, and I'm not going to tell them unless I've got like a, a rock solid way of, of helping, of yeah, yeah. a plan. Mm. And that makes sense to me. It's like, well, yeah. that's I can't flaw that logic because you tell them if you if you tell them, oh yeah, by the way, actually he survived. Mm. You know, Johansson, and she does later on. She goes, oh my god, I left him there. Mm. So like, there's no way she could have known. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be what they've got nine months to yeah, travel home. Thinking about that, of just going, just every day they were going, we're another foot a day further away. Mm. Yeah, it's that's no good. But if you yeah. can at least tell them, okay, he's alive, and what we're doing about it that's right. is X, Y, Z. Yeah, then they can go, oh, okay. Yeah. Otherwise, they can wait till they get home. It doesn't matter whether they know early or later. I, but yeah, maybe that's just me. Maybe. Yeah, maybe maybe that is maybe. just you. I I wouldn't want to know, and you know, if there was no solution, I wouldn't know it. Mm. It's like like um, doctor says you, you got cancer, you got two days to live. You go, so what are you gonna do about it? I was nothing. Why the frick did you tell me that? <laughs> I was I was happy. Yeah, that's right. And now, oh, jeez, yeah. Mm. Uh, so back on Mars, uh, Watney has got the rover, um, but the rover can only go a couple of hours, and of course he needs to needs to go whatever it was. I can't remember three thousand. It's going to take him a month or something. Yeah, three thousand kilometers or something. I don't know. I can't, it doesn't matter the numbers. Whatever. It's going to long, long time. Anyway, he, so he supercharges well, actually, it. More, more important than that is that the battery really only lasts a short distance. Yes. And, well, yeah, know, it only lasts two hours. The solar cells take so long to recharge and then like he can go a bit further if he turns the heater off. Yes. And, you know, he's, he's trying to work through all of these problems. Of, like, yeah. He, he can only, yeah. So he supercharges it, but then if he keeps the heater off, he's freezing to death. And so he gets the nuclear fusion reactor and just puts it in the back seat with a seatbelt on. And that keeps him nice and toasty. Well, there's an RTG, which is a radioisotope thermogenerator, mm. which is, yeah, uh, a cool bit of tech, mm. which is one of, one of the things I was going to talk about a bit later on, actually, because yeah. super interesting and, and um, brilliant anyway. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, but works, it, it works, it works a treat in this it's way. Relative, he does explain that's highly dangerous. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's highly dangerous from one perspective, but it's relatively safe. Enough that yeah, he's he's not in any real danger by having it there with him. He just doesn't want to crack it open. Yes, uh, he has the idea um, of the. I'm not, I'm not sure actually what happened, but he he thought of the Pathfinder, didn't he? He yeah. always spots what's out there, and so then he takes off to find the Pathfinder. Of course, yeah. the Pathfinder is famous from sort of the late '90s landing on Mars. I think it's 1997. Um and you know the and so he he heads off to it and reclaims it basically it's totally buried under sand it's a really nice moment of him kind of like feeling something with his foot and kind of digging and then he finds like the tracks and lifts it out um plugs it all back in with the solar panels and at the same time back with Mindy. Uh, and the guy that were uh, Vincent Kapoor. Vincent, that's his name. That's right. <laughs> uh, I suddenly realised I do have it down it further. Is, oh, I see. Um, Vincent and 
like they realise that he's been doing the same sort of trips around, but suddenly this particular day via the satellite images, he's taken off on this other direction. And Vincent, you know, runs to the cafeteria, gets the pulls the map off and the this wall. Is, this is classic and, movie storytelling yeah. <laughs> process where puts the line through the the sand, and then he says, "I've got it. I know exactly where he's going. Where?" And he runs off. And runs off into the distance. No time yeah. to explain. No, and it's like an aeroplane as well, like he's taken and, off to another site. And, uh, and, and what it always, is is that always leaves the audience going, "What? What is it? What, what brilliant is it? thing should we have yeah. guessed?" Yeah, and of course he gets this other place in the jet propulsion lab. Good old JPL. Uh, and they get there, and he, he's rounded up scientists from the nineties that all worked on the Pathfinder. Um, and it's kind of like, I mean, again, it's good movie telling, isn't it? That as Mark is sort of unplugging and turning everything on, they're unplugging with these scientists that built it in the nineties, uh, a replica of the, of the Pathfinder. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it ex- explains in the book nicely, actually, that every time that when they send this stuff off, they mm. do keep, uh, a copy of the yeah. stuff at home. Yeah. Because uh, they've had to do this on some of the Apollo missions and yep. things where they've had to jury rig stuff. Yeah. And yeah, the astronauts up there, they're in the heat of the moment. They've got clunky gloves, you know, that they're, yeah, yeah. they're not the best things. Yep. You want a whole team of engineers yes. all using their brain yep. in relative safety where they can think about these things. Yeah, yeah. And so they have a replica mm. of yeah, the pathfinder. It makes a lot of sense, yeah. If they get a, a shonky message, because I, I do this at work, I, I do support on software, mm. and we have a you know, a replica production system that's mm. not plugged into production, but it has all the same software, all the same configuration, everything. So if we spot a problem in production, we can then start experimenting on this system to find out what it is and how to fix it. Yep. And then we can then test our fixes, and then we apply it to production. Yeah, yeah. And, makes and a lot of is, sense. This is explained in the book that this yeah. is what they've got here they've got all of these old stuff and they had to really dig this one out mm-hmm. but they've got it there for that purpose of well if something failed up there they could find out what could have done it and if they could recover it yeah yeah so it's it's wonderful yeah it is it's it's a cool thing but it's good again movie telling i don't know if this would happen in reality but it's kind of like mark is turning on the one on mars and they're turning on the one in in uh, the jpl lab, jpl at the same time, aren't they? And it's like talking to each other instantly. Um, so it's good good timing for movies, I and, think. And he does yeah. this a few times here later on when they're talking about um, uh, modifying his rover for the very long journey mm, he's going yeah. to do. It's like instantly yeah, so patched in. You see him <laughs> drilling the holes in the roof yeah, yeah. and you see the dude... As they're discussing the, the plan, the yeah, yeah. So it's a good way of speeding up the story. Um and so, yeah, it's, it's, but it's nice, this, because it's kind of a bit of nostalgia, isn't it? As of science and NASA and it, it, I tell you what, like one thing this film does really cool with the science and NASA, it's, it, it makes it feel extremely realistic that this is our future, as in not necessarily this sort of disaster, but like, it feels like this could happen, right? Mm. Like to me, like this whole film feels it's it's not people aren't in outer space and uh, and they're uh, you know they've got anti-gravity and they're uh time traveling and and 
speed warps and stuff like this that are all maybe plausible, but they're not part of our current science. Like the science in this film is pretty much our current science. Mm. It's just jacked up a little bit. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things couple that are of things jacked just up to make but, it a bit nicer. Yeah, but but essentially but, it is what we have now, and yeah. so I think it's and so like this moment with the Pathfinder is a nice little kind of nod to the past science, I think, mm. and it's kind of and then it works, doesn't it? It's a way of them being able to communicate. He can use the Pathfinder to communicate back to them instantly, and so they come up with this rudimentary. I don't know what the science was. The, 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 well, they, the code. The thing, main thing he's sort of saying, he's got to spell stuff yeah. out because they can turn mm. the camera mm. and so it can point. So he's going to go, okay, if I draw the letters of the alphabet around it, yeah. that's 26 letters. The degrees. Says, divide be... 360 by 26, you only got like, I don't know, 12 degrees or yeah. whatever it is of difference. He says, I'm not going to be able to detect that. Like it's, yeah. it's too fine a point. Yep. And then he goes, oh, well, uh, and in the book it, it goes through the maths of, well, if I got it down to 16 instead of 26, then that division results in enough separation mm. that you can do it. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, in computer science, 16, base 16 is used uh, as a way of representing um, bits mm. and bytes or nibbles, and then two <laughs> together form a byte. Nuggets. And a uh, <laughs> one byte Popcorn is chicken. enough to represent 250 five different variables yes yeah, yeah. and so if you look at a you could then draw a chart up and basically sort of say each of these things represents a letter or a symbol or a punctuation mark mm. yeah yeah then from this 16 the camera just looks at every two it looks at becomes combined together mm. yeah. mind you they could easily have done that with just the numbers one and two through six yeah and the first one it looks at would either be a zero one or two, yep. and then the second one would be the final character, and then you've only got like eight points around to look oh, at. Oh, well, there you go. You Sorry. wouldn't be able to do punctuation. No. But I don't know, nine points to have a full stop, because that's all you yeah. need is a full stop. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they did hexadecimal. This plays up later, because it doesn't really go into it in the movie, except you see he's got like the text chat. Yeah. So what they've, what they've done is they've taken this hexadecimal thing and they sort of... Um, passed it through so because you imagine initially he's got to turn the camera to look at something yep and then mark what he writes down that number and then looks yep. at the next one that writes that one down and then translates that into a letter yep but then what you could of course do is the signal that goes to the camera to turn it so many degrees you don't actually have to turn the camera no the computer knows how many degrees you want to turn it to yeah and so you can say when you want to turn it this many degrees yeah that's that Letter. That's that letter, yeah. And that's quicker then because instead of having to wait for the camera to rotate through, which takes yeah. a long time, you can just send through, okay, rotate five degrees, it's rotate 15 degrees, rotate 20 degrees, yeah. right? Yeah. And that then just starts spelling out. And so that's when they convert. And it, you know, he hacks the rover then yeah. because the rover can talk to Pathfinder yeah. because the rover's computer system had a, a, a simple enough user interface or a simple enough programming system mm-hmm. that they were able to provide him with the details of hacking it because the hab computers uh, were more complicated yeah but this one was simple enough that he could get in there and, and hack it to communicate and thus they could turn this symbol this means of turning a camera into actually just sending okay, hexadecimal yeah. characters yeah which naturally in uh in computers translates nicely into numbers letters mm. punctuation yeah. and so so that was that that was that was his whole you know, 
hexadecimal ASCII character set thing. And I, it's funny that he had to go through for a notepad. Like he, he got like a little like a paper draw up of the ASCII chart. Yeah. But of course yeah. it would be on, they had their laptops. Yeah. It would be on all their laptops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it would just, it's just, it's in there. If you have a look in at the, um, under Windows, you hit the Windows key and type like symbols and characters and it and it pops up. Yep. And you can, you know, you get the little smiley face and the wingdings and all the yeah, rest yeah. of it. But if you have a look, there's numbers associated with those in in uh, you know, columns and rows, and the numbers go from zero through F. Yeah, right. And that's that's your ASCII charts there. So he didn't yeah. really have to go through and find a paper chart. That just made it look cooler. Yeah. It also made it easier for him to have that flip chart and a little whiteboard there. Yeah. It visualized it in the movie. Yeah. Show, it was, showing it, was nice, it more. But there you go. So that was, yeah, I, I enjoyed that because I'm a computer programmer and I, <laughs> and I like the, I like the, the connection and the fact that, um, yeah, he was doing sort of uh, hacking of the system to, to, to change interfaces. Great. We do, after that, Watney realizes or learns that the Hermes crew are unaware and he's, he's quite angry about that. And there's a funny moment because, they're communicating and it's live, live on the yeah. NASA website, and and so then he like swears and screams about it all, um, which pretty much then com- convinces Sanders uh, to allow Henderson to actually inform the crew. There's a there's a pretty quick scene there, but the the crew are shocked, uh, upset. Um, that they, they do tell them that Mark doesn't actually blame them, but again, Captain um, Captain. Yeah, Johansson. Yes. Yeah, she she takes you know she takes it pretty hard. I think. Yeah, and I, I could imagine that. Yes. Yeah. You've got to be thinking he, he must have only been a couple of meters away. Had yeah. What if I'd spent ten seconds longer? Yeah, there's a lot of regret, isn't it? Yeah. I think in that moment, and I mean it all. You know, I think the crew say we. You know, we all made the decision, and she's like, no, you know, I made the decision, yeah, and, like and it's true. Own. Like the captain, the captain makes the decision. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so and and also there we've got like this is all good sort of fun and games that's happening for a story, as we said we've got him sort of starting to communicate and getting past the communication, growing the plants. Um, there is a nice moment where he kind of walks past and there's little growth, um, and so he like jumps in there and the potatoes are then bigger and bigger, and um, he says to the camera like, oh, officially. When you grow crops, you are colonizing a place. So I've colonized yeah. Mars, <laughs> um, which is interesting. I didn't know that. I did, I did not know that that was kind of the definition yeah, of, I've never, of colon. I've never looked that up. But I've never looked that up, yeah. But it's, it's kind of a nice little thing, isn't it? Yeah. Because I looked up the yeah the number of calories in a potato and yeah. how many potatoes <laughs> you can grow per square meter. And I looked up all of that information to see whether any of this made any sense. Yeah. I didn't bother to look up that little law or the maritime law one either. Yeah. they oh, The maritime law one is, is true. I know that. I know that from other pirate movies, okay? Yeah. Um, that's what my reference would be. I'm not a pirate, but I played one. <laughs> I played one in the movie, and I know it's true. Um, the there's sort of a scene here. Vincent Capur he's offered the JPL still, you know, with the Pathfinder thing happening and stuff. And uh, Bruce Ning, I think is is that his name? The engineer, the chief engineer kind of guy. Yeah, Bruce. Um, and so they're planning, and this is where they sort of they're like, okay, you're going to get the food there in. In 60 days, you're going to get the rocket ready in 60 days, you know, and it's like, oh no, we need like 100 days. Oh no, well, you've got three months and that's it. 
you know. Yeah, so, um, so they're all sort of scrambling to, to make it all this happen. Clock and yeah, to kind of do that to to send this uh, food to them in advance. Um, back on Mars, so as as things are kind of like again, this is good probably midpoint of the film that we've had fun and games. Everything's kind of going. The food, you know, the rockets yeah, we've, developing. We've he's got a plan. He's now food. been able to communicate. Yeah. So like, he's not totally alone. The communication's gotten quicker. We have this moment that the Habs airlock malfunction and explodes. And the Hab just blows up. He's sent out. His mask is shattered. Cracked. Um, duct tape comes to the rescue. Potato crop is decimated instantly, yeah. frozen basically, isn't it? Kind yeah, of thing. Oh, like, I and mean, it's just there's no air. You immediately freeze dried, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's quite demoralizing as an audience member. <laughs> oh, <hell laughs> that yeah. moment, I reckon, like he's put so much effort into growing those crops, and it's just like all of his resources are gone. Yeah. Um, it's a lovely moment of like, you know, the same if you're underwater, you know, cracked um, screen and he's, you know, you got this machine going, oxygen level's low, oxygen level's critical, oxygen, you know, how they like to do it in Hollywood. I don't know if that would be a real NASA suit or not, but, you know, and he's like got, he gets out their gaffer tape and he's like, it's still warning, it's, warning, warning. It would sound like it, it would induce panic, wouldn't it? If it yeah. Keeps, you think it'd be important to tell you, you know, Oxygen is low. Yeah. Take action. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then just use like a little coloured light thing that you can keep a track of you, instead of just constantly shouting at you, do something, go, stop panicking, stop panicking, do something, <laughs> stop do something, do something. Yeah. Oh, what, what the hell do I do? Because I've got to say, like, like for myself personally, like with my kids, when they start like screaming, yelling, like all of them are screaming, yelling and say like you're just about to serve up dinner and like the more people are yelling and screaming at me, the more I just like go into overdrive. Like I, I just—if you just don't scream at me, you'll all get fed. Yeah. But you're all screaming at me at once. Like, just stop. Yeah, it's it's you get so overloaded. And if you can't it, process. Yeah, the overloading, overloading of it. Um, we have this then, like, because they learn about this, they learn his crops. They do a great kind of numbering of. Uh, they, it was already a pretty tight window getting Watney's supplies, but now it's just blown out. And so then they say, um, Sanders is saying. Well, you know, like we can maybe just get there if we get rid of the pre-flight safety. And there's a good question of like, they're like, oh no, you need 20 days to do the pre-flight safety. And and he says, how many times does the pre-flight safety show a problem? And they're like, one in 20. Yeah. And he's like, okay, we don't do, screw the pre-flight safety, which I think would be in this situation, a reasonable assessment. Yeah, I would presume. I mean, I suppose you are talking about a pro, a rocket that's probably worth millions and millions of dollars, and it might result in NASA not getting millions and millions of dollars for another rocket. But you are talking about not no one's no no one is on this rocket. Yeah, and I don't think like how many accountants really would sort of say. Oh, no, look, Mark Watney's not worth saving. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> not, not, this 20, you know, yeah. Not, not this $225 million rocket. You're going to be kidding me. Mm. Meanwhile, Watney um, is able to now talk to the crew and there's a nice sort of scene with Martinis where they, um, you know, sort of jo- like yeah, he's like... Roasting each other. Roasting each other, other, really, you know, in this situation. Um Mark fixes up the hab door with good old plastic and gaffer tape. They seem to do a lot of that in this this film. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I'm not sure. That must be strong 
plastic. Because... It's super strong plastic, yeah. yeah. But you can get a lot done with gaffer tape, I will say. Oh, you know? yeah, I mean, I even remember when I did first aid the very first time, the ambulance officer was talking about how great gaffer tape is, like, save people's lives. Mm. Um, you know, he talked about, like, a, coming across a car crash with uh, two guys, and, of course, he was on his own, not, not in an ambulance. And, yeah, he just gaffer taped one guy's head to the car seat so he wouldn't be able to move because he probably had neck injuries and then went and helped the other guy like he had a wound from the car and he could then assess that and he used gaffer tape to hold him, around, hold him together until the ambos got there and got to hot, save their lives. Yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, gaffer tape does work. You should always have some gaffer tape on hand. Um, and Mark Watney does, even on Mars. Yes. He seems to walk around with the stuff. Um, he doesn't have enough food. It's totally gone. And so... And he's run out of sauce. I, I really like this. He dips his potatoes in Vicodin. Yes. As you said, he ran out of tomato sauce or ketchup you know, seven days ago. Yeah. Um, what's Vicodin? Uh, Sorry, I assume it's some sort of painkiller or something? Yeah. From what I can gather, I've never had the stuff, but what I can gather is it's kind of a pretty trippy painkiller. Um, people do get addicted to it. It's, it's, one, a, of it's, it's one of the good ones. No, okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's dipping his potato in. He's, he's tripping out a little bit, I think, and for a while. slowly starving to death. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's a good kind of beat, isn't it? Like the bad guy's closing in that, well, he's like, if I'm going to die, I might as well go out on a bit of a high. Yeah. 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 Why not? We have a one month later. Um, the rocket, uh, with those supplies, takes off. There's a great moment. They're all celebrating. Yeah, we're, go America. 17-degree perturbation. Yeah, it's all excellent. Everyone's cheering. And then one, one guy's not cheering. No. He's seeing something. You know, I love this because so many of these films are all cheering. You always think, well, don't you have things to still do on your computer? I'm sure you do. And this one guy does. <laughs> He's like, I don't get to cheer until it's like out, like really out in space, guys. Settle down. Oh, shit. No, it's not working. Something's wrong. And uh, basically it explodes. It explodes. Yeah. And, and they're, they're a all very, devastated. Very quick explanation as to what happened that mm. the, uh, they, they used the, they want the highest nutrient density they could, which is these protein cubes, which they packed in all around the outside of it. But then uh, the acceleration caused it to liquefy of course, uh, or, or at least act like a liquid. Mm. And then with the natural slight you know, shuddering or moving of the rocket, it pulled to one side, which caused it to go out of control and explode. Mm. Very, very depressing. And it does lead to kind of, again, we're kind of in a story structure going downhill here for Mark. And he, there's a, there's a beautiful scene. He's sitting on this edge of a, kind of a cliff thing, you know, looking at Mars. It was probably one of the ones in Jordan for this bit. And um, he, he that also kind of intercuts with him sending a voice message to the captain about yeah. that when he she gets back to Earth, she has to go see his parents and talk to them about him and saying that he loved his job and, you know, he did the best he could. And, he's died and for something big. He's died know. for a, something bigger than him and... You know, so it's a it's a real like him mentally kind of saying, "Well, yeah, I'm probably not getting out of this now." So it's again, it's that kind of the bad guys closing in, right? Like, we, so we also the world's got closing. the uh, the the little nerd, whatever his name was, uh, the the um, steely eyed rocket man, Daniel Daniel uh, was it Danny Glover? That's who it is, isn't it? Danny Glover. Yeah. 
Uh, no, I'm talking about the, the astrophysicist. Yeah, guy. that's who I'm talking about. Isn't it Dan, Daniel Glover, Dan, Danny Glover? Um, no, Danny Glover's like from Lethal Weapon. He's, he's, he, this guy is called Glover because he's also got his alter ego, the musician, the rapper. Um, oh, does he? And he's from Community and he's writing. Oh, oh, you're writing the actor's name? The actor, I'm yeah. i the character. Yeah, sorry. no, I don't know what his character's the name character, is. I, I just suddenly, <laughs> it's the character's name. No, is, I'm talking about the actor, yeah. It yeah. is Glover. Um, oh, okay. Well, maybe it is, yeah, sure. So, But he, he does it again the second time where he goes, uh, it would almost be easier if they just, oh, yeah. <laughs> I need more coffee. And he was yeah. like, what is it? What is it? Yeah, and Vincent Capuz, what is it? He's just... Ignores him and runs yeah. up. But it seems silly, except I totally get this because I mean, I've never been in this exact situation. Mm. I've certainly been in situations where I'm thinking of a problem just going and, and, and I'm talking through with someone and then suddenly inspiration for a solution mm. hits, but you don't know if it's going to work and you know, explaining it to someone is going to get in the way of the process that's happening in your head. You've yeah. got... You've got the the germ of an idea that's starting yeah. to you can feel it slithering and it it's like you know when you're in bed and you can feel yourself starting to sleep off to sleep and you don't want to Rich Pennell. That's yeah, exactly. like <laughs> you you don't want to jolt yourself or, or change position in case you lose that drifting to sleep. Yeah, feeling. yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing you get that the solution's coming and it's you, you can't you can't see the specifics of it, but you can mm. see the shape of it appearing yeah. In your mind, and you know, trying to explain it would shatter that. Yes, and yeah, I, yeah. I've, I've certainly been in those situations um, creatively, yeah, but also, creatively, yeah. Also at work, where yeah, yeah there's you know, a problem mm. happening, and I've got to come up with some sort of a, a programming solution, and I can go, ah, oh, I, I can, I can feel it, I can feel it, it's there, I can, yeah. And well, it's like, kind oh, of what like, is it? What is it? You go, just yeah. give us a moment, yeah. <laughs> and you start checking things, and you're looking at stuff, and you, you, yeah. And then you start becoming solid and then you can actually say it. Mm. And so I can understand that. Well, it's kind of like you have to, like if you talk about computers, it's it's almost like you have to download an idea, don't you? And you just, you've got to kind of download it all before you can then talk to someone about it. Yes. I, that, that, in my experience of that, like coming up with a solution or inter, especially in creativity, sometimes like it hits you and you've got to kind of, oh, let me down. If anyone starts talking to you or if anything happens... The download stops. Yeah, it's kind of like the internet of the 1990s exactly. if it just stopped you halfway lose, you lose and that you've lost it all. Because you haven't got the full grasp of it yet. Nah. It's, you just know it's there. That's it. And it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> it's a sneeze. You're about to sneeze. Yeah. But if anyone interrupts you right now, you're going to stop. Stop sneezing. Yeah. That's a good analogy. So we do cut to the Chinese National Space Administration and they f- they're watching the footage of the rocket blow up uh, and they feel for the NASA scientists. It's a real science moment like mm. they're there and they they really spell that out they're like we should do something about this we have something that could help them but it has to be for scientists like sign i think he says scientists to scientists or something like mm. that is the line of dialogue and i love this in this movie because you know you could quite often quickly go down a path of oh the chinese are the bad guys or something you know what i mean but they, the the movie doesn't do that they literally make it a very scientific yeah, this exchange adds that uh, edge of hope that science yeah. has that yeah you know, you're, you're dealing with this, um, you know, problems and your solutions are logical, rational, one coming from mm. another. Yeah. Yeah. You're not interfering with like these sort of idealistic or, or um, ideological mm. battles, yeah, yeah. philosophical issues because yeah. 
you know, mathematics doesn't have philosophy. Yeah. And we've seen it with the COVID vaccine and, and problems due to COVID over this last 12 months that the science, you know, you got people out there and politicians and different governments and stuff quoting numbers and doing this and selling things. But if you kind of see beyond that sales pitch from the governments and politicians, the scientists worldwide are working collectively on it, you know. So mm. you might have people over here you know, Oxford actually developing something and then a scientist in Brisbane developing something to deal with the actual side effects, but they work together. They share that information because one piece of information could be the answer to someone else's problem. Yeah. And so scientists, science in that way can be a really magical, beautiful thing. And it's great that they, they put that in this film, I thought. Um, yeah, so that Rich Pummel, who you were just talking about, he's come up with this idea. Once the Chinese have kind of thrown up their rocket, he's he's got this idea, and as you said in the movie, it's like ah, and he, you know, but it doesn't tell us. And there's a shot while they're doing with the Chinese rocket that he's like using the supercomputer, and he's like, and it goes, it works, you know. Oh, yeah. Again, he doesn't tell us. He's like, it works. I love, I love you know? these user interfaces. That yeah, where he's sitting there with a, a computer, a laptop plugged directly plugged, into yeah. the, the system, like. I'm pretty sure that's not the way you do it. No, but, but it works in the movies. He would it? be just sitting in his office and he wouldn't have to connect. Yeah, like why do they have to walk down to those computers? Why does he have a, <laughs> a physical, like a USB cable yeah. plugging in? That would actually be more difficult than just simply. I, um, I unless would, he was hijacking the system. Yeah. He, or, you know, not hijacking, but illicit. Tapping in, but which anyway, he might have been. This lovely user interface kind of like says. Confirmed successful. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> no, because it would have been a mathematical equation yeah. he would have put in and it would have come back with a whole bunch of numbers yeah. and he would have looked at them and gone, they're the right numbers. They're the right numbers, yeah. That's what I'd think as well. But that doesn't work in the movies. You need no. to just spell it out and uh, they do spell it out, but it's great. We then have Sanders, um, you know, and... Um, oh, I've forgotten his name again. Why is it Kapoor? Kapoor, Kapoor. Oh, Kapoor. Uh, they're all in the big room discussing what's going the on. With the Chinese. Yeah, and they're, they're talking. <laughs> that's right. And they're talking about, um, you know, the rock and all this. And that's when he, Rich, again, in his kind of weird way, explains it. You know, what the idea is that he wants to, it, when Hermes comes around, why don't we not get it to land on planet Earth, but engage with this rocket with the supplies and actually pick it up and then use the trajectory of bouncing around Earth at high speed and then sort of bouncing back to Mars, you would save some time yeah, and and kind of get back to Mars. Okay. But the dilemma, of course, is that then those astronauts coming back from Mars have just spent a year coming back from Mars when they're thinking they're about to get back to Earth and land on the planet that then they're going to be going back for another year and another year to come back, roughly, you yeah, know, give or take a little bit. It was 19 months. Yeah, or something, something like they that. Said, oh, dreadful. And um, but you know, they agree that agree that the crew will probably be on board, but whether this is the right idea or not. So it's a great little sort of and scene. Sanders says no. Well, what I did like though is Purnell. Like he's a room full of highly intelligent, educated engineers. Yeah. Yeah. Had he simply said, uh, "I've done the math. If we accelerate." slingshot around Earth and pick up the cargo on the way back, we can make it. They all would have immediately understood what he said. Yeah, of course. But, but he doesn't do He puts whole, on a show and dance. Yeah, with the staple and stuff. It's like, because you could be thinking, of these, you know, um, Mitch Henderson, Sean Bean's going to be sitting there going, I have seen plenty of launches. I've gone <laughs> over them. I do know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Like, you would have just said slingshot would have got you. But, yeah, you know. it's like, you know, just, yeah, sure. Yeah, go for it. Show the stapler. Staple but things. Yeah, Sanders says no. 
Yeah. No, this is this is no this is where we get five astronauts back definitely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, you know, I, I can't ask them to to do that. And Henderson's like, he's not happy about it. So he sneakily yeah, he sends, sends the plan to Pornell. Uh, sorry, so he sends Pernell's plan to the crew, and as a bit of a kids photos of my kids yes. as well, email to one of the crew members, and they read it, of course, and understand it, and vote to do it. To do it, yes. Yeah. And sort of screw you, NASA. We're just going to do it, and you can either come on board yeah, or they, you can't. They, they just have to, you know, uh, stop the override systems that NASA has. Yep. And once they get to a certain, there's a certain cutoff point mm. where NASA has to continue with the plan yeah. or they will die. Yeah. Which is, that's kind of a rough way of doing it. <laughs> and I said, you yeah, realize none of us will be going back up there again. And and I like the, um, the, the, the chemist. He says, well, if we do it, we'll have spent 19 months in space, mm. which is the longest, that's long enough in space for any lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean. Yeah, which I have to admit, like after spending a, a few years away from your family and friends yeah, yeah. up in space, possibly dying every you second. Probably you're up ticked. There, you probably ticked that box. Yeah, you go well. Scratch that itch. I mean, I've got all the fame I could ever want, of course. Yep. Haven't been on this mission, mm. and I've had all the time I could ever want experiencing space and the working conditions. Yeah, I can understand that you'd be kind of happy to to do that. So here we've got a perfect kind of moving into Act Three. Here's the plan. Hermes is going to pick up the supply. We're going to fly back. We're going to uh, bounce back. We're going to head back to Mars and get Watney. Watney is going to get his butt um, and all his stuff together and get off to this Aries four, 5 four. rocket ship. Four? Yeah, the four supply four. station. The four supply station, which, as he explains, NASA kind of sends in advance for the next mission, so it's already there, ready to go, whatever. Um, and so that just leads into a good old-fashioned montage. It's time yeah. for a montage. Uh, so Watney is getting all his stuff ready. Uh, NASA and the Chinese are kind of like shaking hands. Oh, he's the cut rockets, his ration, rations yeah, more. They're like you know the rockets now have uh, Chinese and American flags on them. Um, you know the the uh, the as you said, he has to cut his rations into and he, tiny little bits. He says, Normally it's three every one day. Yeah. But to Russian, I've moved to one every three days, yeah. and he takes that off. And then now they want and now they want me to do this. <laughs> and he chops off another little bit and puts it off. Mm. And he still gets uh, his potato and Vicodin, I think. So <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking at it going, oh, that would be harsh. And we that have that be. repeat where at the start he came out of the shower and he's all yeah you know, bulked. Yeah. Oh, and that happens after the seven months. And then yeah, after the seven months, he's going to be going. Yeah. He comes out of the shower and he's he's. Skinny little fellow. He is. I don't think it's him. I think that's a that's a double. They're Point very double. sneakily shot because you never see that double's face, no. and until and then Matt Damon's like appearing in the suit because he's a bulkier dude, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to, yeah, you know, that's sort of like Robert De Niro acting to bulk up and then lose a lot of weight on oh, set, um, you know, like yeah. Oh, yeah, a couple of them raging bull. <laughs> yeah. And what's his face? Uh, yeah, who the did? Mechanic. Yeah, the yeah. Um, Christian Bale. Bale did it, didn't he? And yeah. also uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, he did yeah. a similar sort of thing. Like it's, it's tough it's a, going. That's a harsh thing to do. I, I mm. mean, even Joaquin Phoenix in Joker lost a bunch yeah. of weight to be a yeah um, skinny little Joker boy. Yep. 
So it is seven months later, as you said, he's, he's leaving and he, he leaves the hab and this is another kind of joke of it all that he's a space pirate, that he's going to claim the land. Yeah, he must be called Longbeard. <laughs> yeah. um, so he begins, it's a 90-sold-a 90 90 journey to this Sharapella. Schiaparelli. Schiaparelli. So you see what I mean? If you've I only know. ever read it... You try and read it, and and it's like it's weird. Where this Aries Four Mave thing is prepositioned, and again we we le- we basically go into quite a long montage where um, the point here is that his journey is extremely repetitive, and and it's starting to I think play off his mental health a little bit. Um, even w- during this montage, it does cut back to Kapoor who asks Mindy, "How is he?" And she's like, "Oh, he does his daytime driving, and then he." Put charges up the solar panels, has a rest, and has a little sleep, and then to, and then he's like, "No, but how is he? Oh, he wants he wants us to call him a pirate." Yeah, long beard, long beard. Long beard. And then he's like, mm, "Okay." He goes, "Oh, well, actually, because it's currently covered by maritime language." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's explained it. To yes. Me. <laughs> um. So yeah, but it is a repetitive montage where he's kind of doing this same thing over and over and over, where he's driving solar panels, driving solar panels, sleeping. Have you ever moving. crossed an Alabor by? No, I haven't oh. actually. No, I um, will one day. But yeah, I did that yet. as a kid back in '84 or whatever it was. Mm. So we had an old Kingswood, which yep. uh, is. Classic for crossing the Nullarbor. It's dreadful. It had no air conditioning. And we were going across before Christmas. So it wasn't the fullest heat of summer, but it wasn't yeah. a cool time. Still pretty either. hot, yeah. And as it took four or five days driving. Mm. Yeah. And, yep. oh my God, that was like that. We just sit there for like you know eight hours of the day just yeah. watching a, a dead arrow straight road yeah. disappear off into the horizon. desert. Yeah. Um, because yeah. isn't it like the longest, straightest road in the world or something? Yeah, something like that. Something like, like that, yeah. I mean, as far as it's got the longest straights parts because obviously yeah. the 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 the, Indi- the transcontinental highways of the United States are similar sized, yeah, yeah. and yep. I'm sure there are people there. But the the diff- big difference is the Nullarbor is there's nothing there. Yeah, there's no, yeah. So the central US, you've got a bit of like the Arizona desert, whatever. Mm. But for the most part, there's kind of farming communities and things, yeah, and, yeah. and you see farms and bits and pieces around the place. I'm sure you can choose routes like going through Utah and stuff, which yeah. aren't like that. But the Nullarbor is, it was, it's like being on an ocean. Yeah. You'd be driving along and to the horizon, you just see like this road disappear off to the horizon behind, mm-hmm. in front of you, behind you, no cars on it. Yep. Um, no trees. That's why it's called Nullarbor. Yep. And, you know, it'll, it'll have a sign, you know, last fuel for 250 kilometers mm-hmm. coming up. And so, you know, <laughs> You sort of need to get that because, and then you'll see a speck appear, <laughs> and then a car, and you go, "Oh, was it a car? Is it?" Because you know, like, this is all the entertainment you've got. Is yeah. it? Ooh, look at that! It's a, it's a truck. Yeah. I wonder if it's got multiple trailers or not. You know, like so. Yeah. I, it's this sort of monotony. Uh, I couldn't imagine what they'd be like for ninety days. Mm. Anyway, so that that's yeah. It's just like being on. He basically drove the Nullarbor, but for ninety days. The worst. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, on his own as well. Um, the Maeve ship he needs to get on back on Earth, they explain that it needs to be lightened, uh, and it's quite extreme lightning. They want to get rid- pull out all this different stuff. Um, I think it's 5,000 kilograms or something they have to get rid of, um, and including the roof, and then they're like, so what are you planning? Put, put that plastic and gaffer tape back on the roof again, yes. sorry, um, which is quite hilarious. So they kind of joke about how 
bad of a plan this is in a way, I think. That's the whole, and how dangerous it's probably going to be. You're going to shoot a man into space and with no... His response is, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> it, do you, does he mean it as, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Or is it, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And they've, they've decided to go for the first one. Yeah. Like, and, and I think, yeah, uh, Mark Watney at one point says, you're going to send me up into space in a convertible. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, the crew talk about like the last maneuvers, like to get him and and what the plan it will be. Uh, this is kind of intercut back on Earth with there starts to be large crowds of people are watching in public spaces like Times Square in New York and and other places. Newscasters talk about what's about to happen. It's all going to be broadcast live. You know, are we going to get this man off Mars? Um, and uh, NASA explains. Um, there's a kind of a nice little bit of exposition here that by the time on Earth we get the message that he's okay, it would have already happened. Yes, yeah, so and 12 so minutes to get a message there, twelve yeah. minutes to come back. So in that time, we will know whether it worked or not, but we won't know. Yeah, so they're on their own. Yeah, so it's cool. It's a cool way of like raising the stakes. Like they're just on their own now. You know, we can't do anything because all up until now we've had them uh, going through all of the processes. Mm, and yeah. I say in, in the book, it goes you know, ev- even more to yep. show that they've got you know warehouses with people mocking up what to do like over and over and over again until they know exactly yep. each movement that has to be made, how long it takes and when they should do it, how we should do it. Everything is mapped out. So that trip that he does is, you know, and, and the modifications he makes and the equipment he carries, yeah. he hasn't had to come up with all of that. That's been teams of people doing trial and error over mm. and over and over again to get it. So that's why it works. Yeah. And this time, however, it's like, well, okay, we don't get that. Yeah. You know, it's just their ingenuity and their, you know, roll of the dice. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it takes off. He's convertible, is rocketed into space. Yeah. The plastic sheeting doesn't last as well this time. Yeah, yeah. And the gaffer tape. It just doesn't last as as well as a rocket taken off it. I think they said, is it 12 Gs or something as yeah, well? He'll, like, he'll hit 12 he'll, Gs. He'll hit 12, oh, yeah, okay. The gaffer tape's still, still... The gaffer tape's still there, but the plastic's ripped off. Um, so it doesn't go too well, and it actually fails to reach the required speed and then therefore height that they needed to get to to kind of then pick him up. At first, it seemed like, oh, he's going to be um, coming in at 12 kilometers an hour or something like that. Oh, and they're like, oh, that's doable, no worries. And then they realize that, no, he's actually way off course. Mm. Um, he's too far away. And so then um, the commander, he, he actually says to the commander, let me do the Iron Man suit thing. And they're like, no, it's too far. You'll just yeah, blow yeah, off. That's crazy. It's totally, it is totally crazy. Um, and then, but she has the idea that they could, you know, maneuver them, um, the Hermes closer to him, yeah. but just kind of destroying half the ship, half well, of Hermes. Well, the, the first thing is, is if we narrow our approach, then we'll come in close to within, yeah. um, you know, 260 meters. We'll, yeah, we'll, so, we'll come so in, then we're closer we'll to him. We'll come into you know, a zero contact, I think yeah. I said, um, as, but our... Speed differential would be like, you know, they they said, oh, we wanted about six meters per second. I could do up to 11, but that'd yeah. be like hitting a car. Yeah. And, you know, I could try to make that work. Yeah. And they said that they're going to come in at 
60 meters yeah. per second, like six times higher. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, what's that? 240 kilometers per hour difference. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just nuts. Yeah. Like, it's not going to work. So but she says, that, there's a well, nice get m- us in there. Yeah. And then that's we'll solve that we'll problem. We'll solve it. And then we'll figure out how we're going to slow down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's a nice thing, isn't it? She's like, we've got 39 minutes to then solve that problem. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they come flying in. They do their kind of maneuver into him. And with that, she during that time, she does come up with this idea of blowing up a part of the ship to evacuate all the air. And yeah, that yeah. kind of blowing up would cause a, a breaking. It would force the ship to break, right? Mm. Yeah, like the air coming well, in would the stop Iron it. Iron Man, except for the, the spaceship instead of the spacesuit. Yes. And so they get the chemist to build a bomb. And there's all this kind of, again, joking about, well, bombs aren't that great in space. You know, NASA's not that um, keen on fire in space. And they did this horrible thing, of course, because we know that two of the people on board are a couple. Yes. Or have become a couple. Yeah, and they have to separate with this bomb. And he's got to go on the outside and he plants the bomb. And another way, it's beeping. Yeah. He's on his way back and he's like, (laughs) and you're going, he's just going to stumble. He's going to get knocked and fly off into space because we know Mark Watney, like to to finish this film, Mark Watney's going to survive. Yeah. But he doesn't have to survive. No, and they've, other guy they've doesn't. already set it up yeah, yeah. such that he's got someone to lose. Yep. And so I remember watching that going, oh, geez, did they. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's why this whole end sequence is just so good. Yes. Um, so they do all that and they blow it. Uh, but uh, they're, uh, suddenly, after even that, they realize that they're still a bit too far. Yeah, their closing and, um, distance is, is still about 40 metres short or so. So Captain goes out in... I love those kind of suit things, you know. Again, they're a bit reminiscent of, reminiscent of the alien... Sh- Howler, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she goes out and it's the good old tether and he's getting out closer and closer to Watney. He's just floating around in space and he, he really wants to do his Iron Man thing. She's like, no, 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 let me get to you. Um, you know, I can get rid of the tether and then we can kind of manage maybe to get back, um, which you know is, is extremely dangerous because if they float off too far, mm. uh, those suits aren't going to jet them back too much. And, um, uh, yeah, the, the tether runs out, of course. Great, great moment. The, the rolling cable comes to an end. How many films do that? And, again, building that tension. And it is within fingertips, really. I mean, in the ridiculousness of space, he's oh, yeah. too far. He can't just jump, and uh, she can't just jump if she leaves the tether, you know. And uh, with that, he does do the Iron Man thing, and he just goes spinning around at first, doesn't he, within no, the he little cab. He around, so they're like a balloon that's been yeah. burst. But then he kind of gets it, and he comes fanging up, and he actually kind of goes past her and then gets a bit caught in the cables. And yeah, it's a great tether. thing of, you know, I, I mean, maybe a rock climbing film does it as well, where it's like kind of like, trying to grab the rope and if you don't hold the rope you're going to fall to your death right yeah. and um and and so he's like grabbing the rope and it's getting all twisted up and but he can't hold it properly and they kind of get closer and closer and they're spinning around and event and then they get close enough and again even him like he grapples her suit like he really holds on to like kind of like this cable thing doesn't he and you you don't Know it until they just get that nice little hug, a little, little cuddle, plunk, and, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> and he's holding on then, you know. Yes. You know he's holding on then, um, and the and the captain and him have a have a kind of moment. It's not romantic, but a oh, we did. Yeah, it. I'm glad, glad did to it. see we you back it. here. Yeah, um, him and the crew are reunited, and uh, they fang it back to Earth. Basically, you know, it's full steam back to Earth. Yeah, we get we do get a nice 
you know, finish off where we sort of recap what each of the characters are doing as we they're do. launching the next Ares mission. So yes. we know, okay, Ares missions weren't cancelled, so yep. that's kind of cool. And, you know, we, we go from Sol 428 or whatever it was. Yeah. Now this is day one. Yeah. And he's sitting there sort of having a drink and a cup of coffee. You can see he's really enjoying it. Yeah. He's probably, he's appreciating these things in life now. Yeah. And he goes into the classroom and, and says, answers a few frequently asked questions. And he uses that, that line where he says, yeah, it's a matter of solving one problem mm. and then you solve the next and yeah. you keep going. And if you solve enough of them, you survive. Yeah, you do. I'd, I'd agree with that. Baby steps. <laughs> yeah, it's and that's that's really good. And then we 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 go through what everyone else is doing. You know, yeah. Um, Mitch Henderson, Sean Bean's character, yeah, had to retire because yep. he broke the rules. Yep. But you see him. He's 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 not doing it badly. He's on the golf course with his son. With his son, yeah. So he's having a good time. I guess, yeah. Um, Bit of so a forced retirement. Yeah. Why but, not? Yeah, but yeah, he would have been making decent money. Cap Cap is happy. Yeah. She's doing her. She's fit and healthy. Yeah. The um. Who are those two? The the, the, the two lovers the couple, that you thought were going to die. Got the bubby. <laughs> they've got a bubby. They've got a bubby. Michael Pena, who um, or Pena Martinez, uh, was is back home with four kids, kind of idea. Yeah, and oh, and, and the I oh, know, and then he wants to. He's back off, isn't he? He's got, he's going on the next the, mission. Oh jeez, <laughs> and, the, and the the German chemist fellow is there with his massive family. Yeah, as well, yeah. And he's yeah, he seems quite happily not going off again. And he's watching the yeah. telly. They're all sort of watching the the climax of it going to take yeah, off so, again. And, and that's a really and that's nice, the end. It really rounds off nicely. You, it does. you get that sort of feeling of oh, that's nice. Yes, it does. So that is the end of the story. End of the narrative. We'll get stuck into some science in a moment. But first, the ladder. Our recommendations of where you should maybe watch this film in our order. Have you got it on your list, Surrey? Where are you I putting it? Uh, right between the Discovery and Passengers. Beautiful. I think it it feels that way. Like the Discovery is more that psychological sort of thing. It's a bit grimmer. But Passengers is similar in a way, mm-hmm. but it resolves differently. Yeah, and like it's just it would be a, it's a really nice sandwich in there. It's up the top there uh, around Snowpiercer platform, um, sort of territory. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, it's it's a it's a great science fiction movie because there's a lot of science, but it's it's still in a fictional. You know, what if it's not we're not being lectured about anything? Yeah, we're great characters. We've got enough action. Uh, thrills, you know, um, it's just it's very well balanced in that mm. sense, and so I, I put it in between those two films, just to just to ease you on in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, look, I'm a bit the same. It's quite high up on my list. I've I've got it at number thirteen, after Occupation, Rainfall, <clears throat> and before Other Life. For me, you know, like uh, we've talked about a fair bit with that narrative, but it's such a solid narrative structure. It really follows those ticks and boxes i feel it's a great example for writers of throwing everything at a character <laughs> uh in a plausible situation for this character so I'd, i just loved it and as as he says we're going to science the shit out of it like they do they really do and i like you what you said earlier about showing scientists in a bit of a different way you know and um yeah they weren't evil they, they weren't yeah. scheming no it's just them being using science to solve problems hey i'm an 80s kid i grew up with macgyver this is a version of macgyver this is the major the macgyver nation 
Magashans. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I really liked it. Let us know what you thought, but on your ladder, if you're following along at home, and where you would place The Martian. Is it high up for you? Do you think you should? people should watch it early on in their science fiction viewing? Uh, or should it drop down? Or is it one of Ridley Scott's best films? Let us know. You know, talk to us. So sorry, seeing how it does focus on so many different factors of it, science. It I really do wonder... What the hell are you going to focus on? Well, I, I had a look at a bunch of stuff, so I managed to talk about hexadecimal <laughs> in there, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Because uh, we do have to wrap up the episode at some point. Yes, it, <laughs> I've, I've got a big list here. So I was just going to... Oh, okay. There's a couple I'll just quickly... I'll just get a coffee. ...mention because they're always interesting. So they mention the gravity assist slingshot. It's used in so many sci-fi. It is. Well, it is. And the question, of course, is how does that really work? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but... The short answer is when you fall towards a planet, you get faster. Mm. But the thing is when you go past it, you start falling away from it, but you're still falling towards it. And so whatever speed you gain as you approach, you lose when you leave. So how do you slingshot? Yeah. The answer is it's it's orbiting the sun. So what you're doing, if you'd imagine, is this big heavy mass with a gravity mm. circling along around the sun, effectively going in a straight line. For the size, we're not talking about the size and scale here. Yeah. And so if you fall towards it, that means you, you speed up, you get caught in its gravity, and it is moving in its orbit. And so when you leave, you lose the velocity from initially falling in right. by leaving. So you, there's no net benefit there, but you gain by being dragged along as it goes around the sun. Yeah, right. right? Okay, so, yeah, yeah, I get you. So you can... Um, yeah, increase your velocity by about 0. 0.6 times. Mm. So your Interesting. initial velocity plus 0. 0.6 times that again. And would that remain as they traveled then back to Mars or does it decrease? No, it, it would stay. It would because, stay. Um, all things being equal because you're in, yeah. you're in a vacuum. Yeah, right. And this comes to this concept of escape velocity because this one confused me because I mentioned the escape velocity here with his, his rocket getting off. Yeah. And you think if you have enough, like if you've got a ladder, for example, or, a, mm. or an elevator, let's call it a ladder, and you're climbing up it, mm. if the ladder was long enough and you had enough air and so forth, you could eventually climb away from Earth so far that Earth's gravity would never be able to pull you back again. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's because you're incrementally adding an amount of force moving you away from the earth yeah the question is if you were to jump off the earth yep. how hard and fast would you have to be able to jump because that's only one bang of yep. of force which gives you a certain speed how fast would you have to jump in order to such that you jumped out of the atmosphere mm. and off into space never to return yeah the answer is 11 kilometers a second which is right. incredibly fast yeah uh so rockets of course, do the ladder approach. They're just constantly applying a lot of thrust, but they do get you up fast enough such that when they run out of fuel, they've accelerated you up high enough that you're far enough away from the gravity that you don't need to be traveling mm. at 40,000 kilometers per hour or whatever that yeah, equates yeah. to. You only need to be going about 10,000 or so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then it runs out of fuel, but that should be enough then that you will leave and you'll go to the moon, for yep. example. You yep, won't yep. fall back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything less, and you'll end up in some sort of an orbit 
Yeah. Which will decay and you'll crash into the earth again. Yeah. It might take centuries. It could take days. But, yeah, that's that's that escape loss. Because it always confused me of, well, I've heard this 11 kilometers per second. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really fast. But I thought, but what if you just, yeah, climbed a ladder? Yeah. You would eventually go so far away from the earth that you didn't come back. Yeah. And that's because you are incrementally adding the total amount of energy you've added yes. to get that far away would be the same as if you compressed all that energy down to jumping off the earth yeah. to get you that far. Of course, you'd turn to some sort of spaghetti pancake if you if you <laughs> were able to accelerate from zero to 40,000 kilometers per hour. Mm. But anyway, rockets do it over time as well. Yep. Um, we could talk about soil bacteria and plant growth. I found a nice study on that, but I won't yeah, go yeah. into that. Um, uh, the plutonium thermal generator which is the radio uh, radioisotope thermogenerator, the RTG, mm. that he digs up. And it's really interesting because the question the warmer, is... The heater. The, he uses it as a heater. And what it is, it's this... It's first put into action in 1957, so it's not brand new. But it's a very ingenious way of doing things. So if you have uh, an electric thermometer... Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've seen a digital thermometer. It's got like a little... Yeah, yeah. Uh, metal bulb thing you stick it in and then numbers turn up there and the way that works is it's called a, um, a, a biometallic junction so uh -huh. you get two different metals let's call it zinc and copper maybe or uh, this far more exciting tellurium and something rather you know like exotic sort of metals that they really use in this system but you're two different metals uh -huh. which if you join join them together at one point and then join them together at another point so they form a loop Mm -hmm. You stick one bit, it gets hot, it makes the electrons of one metal excite more or faster than the other ones. And so you get a, um, a voltage there. So electrons are expanding and leaving away from one side, mm -hmm. and the other side being a metal will accept those electrons. Yeah. But of course, that wouldn't cause a current to flow, because for a current, you need uh, a circuit. You need those electrons to go somewhere. Uh-huh. The other end of the biometallic strip is colder, which means that then one of them contracts its electron shells more than the other one. And they're inverse. So the one that expands faster also contracts faster. Yeah, right. Which means so you put it in the hot end, so the thermometer, you poke the thermometer in, and of course the end that you're holding, that you're taking the reading from, is cooler. Because mm -hmm. you stick it into hot water, then it's only about, you know, say, 20 degrees or something in your hand. There's a temperature difference electrons can flow and the uh, rate at which they flow will tell you the temperature that's proportional to the temperature. Mm -hmm. So imagine then if you, instead of having like a little digital display that's, which read numbers out, let's say you just put that a wire off to a light bulb or something you want to power, mm -hmm. like a spaceship. And then you stuck the temperature thermometer into a chunk of radioactive plutonium, which is subcritical. So it's um, decaying and getting very hot. So you've got a very hot power source, which is going to stay hot. Plutonium-238 will... It's got a half-life of about 87 years or so. Mm -hmm. So over the course of about 100 years, you'll lose about, you know, much of it, you know, some, about 20% or so of your power. But what it means is then you've got a thermometer hot end in one end, the other end sticks out into space, which is cold. So you get uh, electricity flowing. Yeah, you right. stick enough of these thermometers in... 
then you actually get a meaningful amount of current. And the RTGs that they sort of do are, say, typically somewhere around four or 500 watts. So they're not, uh, they're not massive power generators. You know, a couple of AA batteries will probably do as well or, or better. You know, you can do it with your, your AA is better. But they will last for tens of years, decades. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah like I said, these, so the one that he dug up was plutonium. It's got a very small beta decay, very high alpha decay, right. which tends to mean there's very few X-rays and gamma rays and neutrons, which are dangerous to humans, mm-hmm. and a lot more of the lower end type of you know infrared heat. Yep. Which is why also plutonium uh, and uranium, I guess, is used in nuclear reactors yeah, because right. it's good at boiling water without being so dangerous. Mm-hmm. In fact, yep. I was reading there that the plutonium... RTGs they send up on these probes, uh, the casing and shielding only needs to be two and a half millimeters thick mm-hmm. to block harmful radiation from humans. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, if you crack it open and get at the plutonium itself, yeah, you'll you'll get a tremendous sunburn. Yeah. But inside their little housing, yeah, pretty safe. Yeah, yeah, cool. You know, you you still wouldn't want to spend day in day out next to it, but. You could do it for a while. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a fascinating bit of technology that it's just a, a solid-state, long-lasting nuclear battery, mm. which they send up in these probes that last for decades. Yeah, uh, yeah it's cool. Know, um, I said, after the you know 20 or 30 years, it'll still be 80-something percent effective. And they're continually refining these. They use them here on Earth as well, on like uh, in the Antarctic and so forth for... Um, Probes. So why don't they make little ones for us in the consumer market? Oh, they <laughs> like did. They're just pacemakers. tiny ones. Oh, okay. In the 60s, yeah, yeah, yeah. they had these little uh, nuclear battery pacemakers. Yeah, yeah. The problem they had with these little battery pacemakers was not that they were dangerous to the person wearing it because the amount of radiation they're getting, you know, they would die of old age before they yeah. would die yeah, of the that's right. thing. Is if you cremate the body, they can't be sure that this won't... <laughs> You know, go up in the smoke, yeah, uh, and then poison a neighbourhood, right? A whole bunch of people. So they stopped doing it. Yeah, uh, and I suppose that would be the problem if we did them as household batteries. Is that yeah, people would tamper with them? And... They're, they're they're quite safe when sealed. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. and the other problem also household batteries that they they don't produce much electricity. Mm. So a pacemaker just needs the smallest little electric pulse yep. to go like a clock. Yeah. So you could have it in your watch or something, I guess, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. to power some little thing like that. But it's a it's a dramatically dangerous little piece of equipment there. If you're getting a, a fire or something, you might yeah. inhale that. <laughs> and we can we can get the same effect with mm. safe. Oh, I was materials. just thinking because imagine because you're saying like the shelf life. So instead of us constantly buying batteries. Yeah, the shelf life yeah, of something well, could be a lifetime, you know? Like, well, this, so. this is somewhat how uh, you could use um, a geothermal energy, yeah. for example. You stick a, a whole bunch of these thermocouples yep. in the ground, but it's it's more efficient to boil water. Yeah. Uh, you get more energy out because mm. they're, they're, not, they're not super efficient. Yep. yep. But they yep. are really good for spaceships because they don't need much power and they last a long time mm. and it doesn't matter if there's a radioactive leak. Yeah. You know, you're not killing anyone. Yeah, 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 in space. And in space, no one can hear your your robots scream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so that, that's the RTG. And so it was 
going to be producing about 500 because he, he didn't have it plugged into anything. Mm. Uh, in the book, he, he sets it up like a heater. Yep. You get about 500 or 600 watts of heat coming out mm. of that. Yeah. Which, when it's in an insulated cabin, a small cabin like that, is, is enough to sort of slowly raise the temperature up. Mm. Um, he, he had to run pipes and do a bit of cooling and get the balance right. They didn't bother going into that. No. Because it's just boring. wrap it in a thermo blanket. Yeah, he's just put in a gold blanket. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there's also calories. I'm, I'm not going to go into calories except one thing to note of calories, and I really liked it in this, is his weight loss. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot of confusion around calories. Yeah. And you'll get all sorts of things. But Newton, uh, Isaac Newton, we've all heard of him. He he came up with these principles, which we refer to as laws. But of course, in science, we don't really have laws. We just have extremely well-developed theories that so far explain things well enough that you can't disprove them or come up with a way that stops them. Yeah. His law of thermodynamics would say that if you have a, a hot thing, like if you put an ice cube in a hot glass of water, yep. you're not going to freeze that hot glass of water the ice cube is not going to get bigger. It's going to get smaller. It's going to melt. Mm, yeah. At the same time, the hot cup of water is not going to get hotter. You can't make a hot cup of water hotter by putting an ice cube in it. No. And you can't make an ice cube colder by putting an ice cube in hot water. Yes. So the energy balance determines the end equilibrium state. Yep. So if you're eating uh-huh. a certain amount of food and you're exerting a certain amount of energy, then you'll come to an equilibrium state. Mm-hmm. So he is eating about 1,500 calories. Uh, a grown person of his size being quite active would be using 2,500. Mm-hmm. So he's got a deficit of 1,000, yep. which means that his body and his activity would reduce Slowly, down yeah. to the point where, um, since he didn't reduce his activity level, yeah. his body reduced. Yeah. So if he reduced his activity level to such that he was basically lying in bed, not moving, mm. fifteen hundred calories, he'd lose a little bit of weight, yeah. but he would he would equally come to equilibrium okay. But because he's been very active, he had a, a you know maybe a thousand calorie a day deficit. Yeah. Uh, given that there's nine calories per gram of fat, you do the division, you find out he's losing half a kilo a week. Mm. Uh, and sure enough, by the end of the thing, he's gone from a, quite a, a buff and bulky sort of healthy, happy-looking dude down to someone who's skinny and bony. Mm. And and this is the undeniable reality that we try to ignore. We seem to think that when it comes to food, the laws of thermodynamics don't apply to us. <laughs> so we we tend to go oh i'm gaining weight but i'm not eating much food mm. sorry you know newton would argue with you and say you are clearly eating enough food to gain weight yes that could be because you are unconsciously eating more than you think or that you're doing far less activity than you think yeah uh, in any case that balance is there and which shows it nice in this film that yeah high activity levels and this is why also when they say to lose weight exercise eat less yeah that's exactly what Mark Watney did. You don't want to go to that level because yeah. you'll hurt yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you only want to... But the thing is, you'll will, you will always reach an equilibrium. So if you cut out 500 calories a day, but don't change your activity level, you'll lose weight until you are now... On that level. At whatever that level is. You'll yeah. stop losing weight at that point. Yeah. So again, yeah. people complain, oh, I went on this diet, I cut down my food... But I've hit this plateau. I just can't budget. And he said, yeah. "Well, that's because 
you've that's that's your equilibrium, that's your equilibrium at this point. moment in time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so you've got to change if, something else. If again. you want to be smaller, yep. then you either have to increase the amount of activity you do, which is often actually very difficult yep. because we usually do as much activity as we need to. Yeah. Or you've got to consume fewer calories. Yeah. Uh, eat a potato and like a finger of bread a day <laughs> and you will lose weight. Yeah. Like, but anyway, I, I just that was an interesting... Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Interesting demonstration of the second law of thermodynamics that I, we love to live in. And I do it myself too. I'm not some holier-than-thou person. I do. I rationalize and tell myself logically this must be the case that I am obviously eating more and doing less than what I think. Yes. It doesn't help me that much. No. <laughs> no, no. Because it's still a case of, well, I don't know what to do or how no. to do more and eat less. Or, you like, know, you, you cook your nice fresh bread and yeah. you just go, I've got to have another slice. And okay, that, that puts you out of your equilibrium, right? Yeah, I know. It's just, it's, or it's raining, freezing cold weather and you don't want to get on your bike and go for a bike ride. And, and so that, you do and less, less tricks are. And it also demonstrates that the main time when people change body composition is when they change uh, large amounts of their lifestyle. Yeah. So yeah. often people, they move out of home, Yep. they gain weight or they lose weight. Yeah. Uh, they Traveling. Move, they move in with a partner, they gain weight or lose weight. Yeah, yeah. When they're traveling, they, they either gain weight or lose. Yeah. And different people, some people will jobs eat more well, when they're doing jobs. that. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. So life moments can change a lot of that and stuff. It's, yeah. it's often, I reckon... If someone's going to write it like a, a quick hack book on how to hack your health like that, would coming be soon to, from Sorry Hughes would be to like radically change your life. Yeah, that's it's true. It's very difficult it? to slowly change it, but if you go, okay, I'm going to move. See to, you, kids. So I'm moving out. Move to a different city. <laughs> I'm getting a different job. I'm going to start. Yeah, yeah, you know, like something totally radical. T- totally flip it on because yeah. that totally throws off all your habits. Yeah, it, it destroys all of your routines. You get to establish new ones. And if you're careful, they can be better ones. Yeah. So Mark They could Whitney, also be worse ones. They could be like Mark <laughs> Whitney went to Mars. Yeah, yeah. Big change. I'm yeah. sure he learned a lot and grew a lot. But then as it turns out, uh, his body wasted away to just spend nothing. Mm. So. I do really like how they, you know, seven months later and then here he is walking out stark naked. And, you know, even though it obviously been months as well before, it was a real good opportunity for them to demonstrate what you've just yeah, talking yeah. about. It's like, the you fact know, that so he's, he's in starvation. Yeah. He's, he's I mean, he made that point, didn't he? Like we said, oh, the normal ration is three of these per day. I'm got to have one per three days. Yes. And then now they're even saying, get rid of this mouthful. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, and even as he said, he'd run out of sauce and stuff. Like everything has calories. And, uh, you know, he, he was getting less and less. He just couldn't eat anymore, could he? Yeah. yeah there, was, there was no opportunity to eat more. His, so. his body was eating itself. Yeah. 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 So, so that's that's sort of my yeah, excellent. And there's so many more things I want to talk about. There in this, was, but I'm not going to. Yeah, you could you could do a whole podcast just based on it this story. Be, there you? are whole podcast episodes <laughs> on the science of Martian. Yeah. So, and I think we we could do that. You could do that on your own. Sorry, that yeah, one. Yeah, because yeah. we didn't talk about the oxygen regeneration oh. or hydrazine or anything like that. You so. could science the shit out of it. I've got to get it in one more time before we wrap up. <laughs> so, the shit, uh, <laughs> shit the science out. So, what's our next uh, movie? So that those at home can play along if you're playing along with us i thought we might go korean oh so 
we have had a look at uh, Gantzer, which is a bit of a yep. Japanese one. We've, awesome. we've had a look at Snowpiercer, which was by a Korean director, mm-hmm. but is essentially uh, a Western movie. Yep. This one is Space Sweepers. Okay. It's a Korean science fiction film set in space. There are robots. There's junk. Mm. Uh, it's uh, comedy action. It's not like a comedy comedy, but I, I think it's like... It's like uh, like Guardians of the Galaxy, for yeah, example. You're not going to call of... it a comedy, but it was a light-hearted. Yeah, uh, and I believe Space Sweepers. I could be wrong. I have never seen it. I believe Space Sweepers is of that ilk where it is a, a something of a light-hearted space adventure. Space Sweepers. Space Sweepers. And is it available on I'm Netflix? Watching, I'll be watching on Netflix. Okay. I'm sure you can get it at your. No, actually, it's a Netflix original, so you're going to you <laughs> you're gonna have to get gonna get it on Netflix. Netflix. All right, excellent. So that will leave us tonight with The Martian. Uh, let us know what you thought about it, what we've talked about. Hit us up on our socials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And spacebrands.com.au. Yes, the new website. Um, check out the festival. If you've got a science fiction film that meets one of those categories, submit now or start planning and creating. Uh, we'd love to see your ideas. You but can go and look at our episodes. You've got 12 and, months to learn how to use a camera, uh, how to write a script, chuck together some actors, get things going. Yeah. It only has to be five minutes long. How hard can it possibly be, Mark? How hard can it be to make a five-minute movie? Uh, it's it's really, really hard, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but it's No, but you, you can get out there and make something if you really want to. We'd love to see it. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to your submissions and also what you think about the podcast. I will catch you next time. See ya. Bye-bye.